I have a question. What's your question, John? What's a himbo? You. You're not actually asking that. As I a think question. I, I think I thought I knew, and now I'm not sure anymore. Okay. Well, from. I don't. Tr- I don't trust the internet. I could Google this, but I don't. I don't believe Google anymore. Um, do, do, do you do you know what a bimbo is? Do you know what the nineties are? Yeah. <laughs> you, you know how stuff gets repurposed like thirty years later. Yeah. Okay, I'm aware what a bimbo is, but bimbo I always felt like had a lot of kind of. No one wants to be a bimbo, and no one like really wants a bimbo around. But I feel like himbo is spoken with a lot more affection. Yes. And I've seen people declare themselves himbos, but I've never seen any, anyone declare themselves a bimbo. I well, don't know. This, yeah. this is just classic misogyny. When it's a woman, yeah. it's a negative. But when it's a ma- man, it's fine. So it's basically, um, I think you have to be three things. You can't be any less than three to be a himbo. And you have to be swole, like jacked, like big, so that's the first one. I know that was three things, but <laughs> just big, kind, and stupid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Also, like that s- clears it up a lot. Mm-hmm. See, to me, I think if someone was calling themselves a himbo, then they're not. It's not something you sought out to be. It has to be earned by others to say it to you. Yeah. Right. Okay. It, 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 it would be very rude to call yourself a himbo. Yeah, that's that's what I felt like. I felt it was like a little presumptuous. It's like declaring you're attractive. And it's like, to who, motherfucker? Yeah. Whose himbo are you? Yeah. So like, say, like Clark Kent. He's a himbo. But he, he's he's really smart. Mm, is he? He's kind of like, kind of... He's I very guess aloof. maybe stupid isn't the word. Okay. It's more innocent. Well, now, hang on, hang yeah, on. Very I think naive. I kind of get here because Superman is smart. Yeah. Clark Kent... He's a kind bit of, kind of stupid. Yeah, he's a bit like okay. He's almost. a bit of a bumbling goof. Yeah. Who who else in like popular media? Okay, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast is he a himbo? You see, he no, he is. Um, is he a hunk? You see, he's not kind. Gaston is mean, so he cannot be a himbo. He's he's, he's very ugly on the inside. Mm-hmm. But by that same extension, Beast is not stupid, so yeah. he couldn't be one either. No. no. But what's his name um, from Emperor's New Groove? Oh, Kronk. Kronk. He's a himbo. Yeah. Kronk, voiced by Patrick Warburton, is absolutely like a character trope. Okay. Hercules is kind of himbo too. Uh, yeah. Especially kind of like in, in, in like the if, early second act of the movie. If you he drop definitely Hercules is when, like when you get sponsored. Like four points. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think I have a good reading on this now. Thank you, everybody. Guys, thank you for joining us. And that's another episode of Video Games for you guys. <laughs> there it is. The the official Video Games podcast comes to an end once again. Episode 133 in the bag. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we'll see you guys in two weeks. Hope it was worth it. Welcome to a new era. Welcome to the world's strongest wrestling podcast. To my left, 
And to my right, it's Brian and Eve. But here, me, the king, the important one, the slam master, the infinity suplex, it's John. And before we get into anything, I am here first to rank the top five matches from wrestling of 2020. At number one with a fucking bullet, it's Io Shirai versus Rhea Ripley in their absolute burn burner from NXT TakeOver. The reason this match matters, the reason you want to watch this, is because this match will make you believe that a 5'5 Japanese lady could beat the shit out of the goddess that is Rhea Ripley. It is fucking hard hitting, they tell a story, and I'm going to be honest with you, for both these wrestlers, I was not actually sold on either of them 100% before this match. I love them, I thought they were great, but this is the moment that those two humans, to me, became legend. At number two, we have Jeff Cobb versus The Dragon from Wrestle Kingdom. This was just big, meaty men slapping meat. This was fantastic, just 20 minutes of pure, bone-crunching joy. Shut the and I fuck just, up. What? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, fine, I, I guess we can talk about something else. Do you guys have something you want to fucking say? <laughs> I watched a happy little story called A Ghost Story, and it's about Casey Affleck dying. <laughs> yes. That's a film. <laughs> Is that it? Is that yeah, the entire... That okay. It. Yeah. It's, it's a very simple movie, but yeah. it it goes places. Jesus Christ, does that film go places? It really does. I presume you've seen it, Brian. I saw it a couple years ago mm -hmm. and I was like, what's wrong with the picture format? And then I was like, oh, it's going for a thing. And they, it's, it kind of like predates the lighthouse in terms of aesthetic, but like the lighthouse is kind of borrowing. You think the lighthouse owes this lunch? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same. It's a24. A24. Yeah, yeah. So this is Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck are a couple and they move into an apartment together and very tragically Casey Affleck dies and then the best decision anyone ever made happens and that's they put a blanket over Casey Affleck's stupid annoying head. And you, you then, mean <laughs> you mean his dead body, Neve? No, his head. And now Yeah. For the entirety of the rest of the movie, Casey Affleck is a classic sheet ghost. Like, full-on... Full-on, sheet ghost. Honestly reminded me of Undertale a few times with the little ghosty boy who lies on the floor. And, and it's got, like, all, eye holes We all know his cut. name is Napster Bluke. We don't, we don't need to pretend. <laughs> Sorry, what is his name? Napster Bluke. Napster Puke. So, yeah, he okay, really thanks. looks like Napster Puke. He has, like, the full white sheet and little Neve, cut that ghost has emotional problems, okay? So does Casey Affleck. So... In real life. He wakes up in the morgue and... What does he do? He walks all the way home. Because that's all you can do when you're a dead ghost. And this is him. This is a sheet ghost walking home. This is a full okay. sheet yeah. ghost. And it looks great. It's so crazy how much emotion you can get out of a sheet ghost. Like, just moving around. So it looks really pretty. And it's a sheet ghost walking over, like, fields to get home. And he does get home. And then the movie is, for a long time, is him watching his girlfriend mourn his death in really painfully like long shots sometimes like that camera doesn't move it's very somber and can she see him no no one can see him but he can see her and he can see other stuff happen around him so she eventually leaves their house 
but he doesn't leave the house. He's bound to the house more than he is bound to her. And then time starts kind of to move around him. Different people move in, different conversations happen there. Is there like, is there a levity to this stuff or is it like... No, it's a very sad movie. Yeah, and there's some bits where there's no dialogue for 30 minutes and it's very artsy, but like some bits are good. Some bits are kind of like, okay. Yeah, there was a lot at the start of it. I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to like this because it is so slow and it's very like, do I need to see this couple sleeping for like five minutes? Oh, no. It's very still cameras. Films like that, like they're frustrating, but when one gets you... There's a point in this, and it was a point when Casey Affleck ghost meets another ghost, another blanket ghost. He looks out the window and another one looks back and they say hi to each other and subtitles come up and they kind of have a conversation through subtitles. I love the subtitles come up. And it was, uh, that was the moment then where it started to become a movie I really enjoyed because it, it wasn't just, I was like, oh, if this is just going to be long shots of someone watching their partner grieve i don't think i want to see this but also i didn't get enough of the couple at the start to really care too much about their grief or their relationship or her moving on beyond him but it becomes less about that and it becomes more about time and letting go and what it means to be dead or alive i thought it was great up until the point of this horrible horrible terrible monologue Mm -hmm. do you know this monologue brian Uh, Yeah. So imagine a drunk guy at a party and he finds three women to talk to because he knows women won't tell him to shut up (laughs) when he's being really annoying. And he is just going full force for this. This monologue plays out in full and I think it's nearly four minutes. And it's him talking about how life is pointless. We only create art so we'll never be forgotten. Just sad, boring, pretentious nihilism with nothing behind it to the point that he's just shouting at other people you're gonna die your kids are gonna die everyone's gonna die and i think the whole point of it was that it was meant to be sad and pathetic because he's talking about how stuff is finite and there's a ghost there watching him who's living through time you know but you still have to sit through this monologue and you and this movie's so quiet and so still And the most noise that's made is this blowhard at a party who you would not even engage at a party, let alone just have to listen to in a movie. And to me, it was really this horrible mark on a beautiful kind of meditation on grief and death and time. And it was just this bullshit. Sounds like they they made a big bet. It did not pay off. It's so weird because if you go to that monologue on YouTube, you will find half the comments saying, this sucks and ruined the movie for me and other people being like, this broke But that's me. that's the same <laughs> shit. Whenever anyone does anything about like kind of toxic masculinity, you get half the people being like, oh, that's pretty fucking good deconstruction. And then half the people being like, the Joker's right, you know? Yeah, it was just like, no, like the people who were agreed with him, I thought it was really weird because it was just like, the idea that everyone creates art so they wouldn't be forgotten is just so weird. It's just like sometimes people create stuff for the joy of creating things or just the fun of drawing or creating. I, like, I guess that in itself is like an interesting conversation about art. But yeah, I always find when you're doing stuff specifically for the effect it's going to have on other people, that's when art becomes its most miserable and like insane. 
Yeah, no, like you're focusing in on the present. You're not thinking about the productive future and who it's for. Yeah, I think it's for you. Just do it because it feels good to you. Yeah, Um, it's definitely a movie that you need to be in the right mood for. I think when I watched it, I wasn't in the right mood and I stuck with it. And maybe I should have just put it away and watched it another time. But the stuff I did really like about the film is ghosts aren't alive and the way they perceive time is completely different Mm. to someone who is alive and towards the end of that movie they really really lean into that and it's done really interesting yeah for sure definitely halfway mark that movie picks up so much yeah and yeah the time stuff is really cool at one stage um a a single mother moves into the house and by the time he moves from one room to another like you know they have gone from just moving in to have the house fully set up and them eating dinner and stuff so time is become really weird for him and shifting all around him it was just cool to see a very cartoonish looking sheet ghost represent a real ghost and work in such a kind of powerful way Mm -hmm. like it looked sad you know and i don't know it was more relatable than if he was like a cgi specter (laughs) it's a very convincing ghost yeah it's less like oh okay yeah so a ghost story maybe don't watch it if you're too sad but maybe you maybe do. I watched it when I was really sad and I was just like, oh boy. I, I, it's not, I sometimes I think that's like the time for those sorts yeah. of movies. So maybe do. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes like I kind of stress about that sometimes. Like I feel like there's certain art that is going to hit you way more powerful dependent, not on like what mood you're in, but I guess like where you are in life at that particular time mm-hmm. emotionally, you know? And sometimes I, I get stressed because I'm like, did I really not enjoy that or like was I just not in the right place for it? And I think like at least once a month and I'm like, do I just need to go back and play Nier Automata again? Oh boy. I know. I don't want, I'm not ready for you to go on that journey again. You fought me so hard on it, John. <laughs> uh, yeah. I thought it was cool. Just not the greatest thing ever. I think you get a lot out of it if you're depressed. Yeah, you see, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Maybe it's the time. The time. Yeah, it but, um, it's very much a game about grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not something you can change. And then how do you, how do you work that into your evaluation or something? You know. But yeah, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. I think I'm gonna go back to near at some point in the next couple of weeks. I think I got to give Yakuza Seven another shot first. <laughs> yeah, people got real mad at me in my stream. Well, not only did you poo-poo it, but you banished it. I banished it twice. First to the dead zone, and then to the void of nothing. You were just being a, a cheeky cheddar at that point, John. Uh, thanks to everyone who joined the stream, by the way. It was really, really fun as well. I was really surprised to see for like a stream about like the top 100 games of all time. It was fucking crazy to me that we got like through the entire list without like even one negative comment from the chat the entire time. Every pick was just like, great pick, John. And I was like, thanks, guys. And it w- I was shocked, but it was appreciated. Cool. I would love to experience your reality sometime. <laughs> no, you wouldn't, Eve. No, you wouldn't. Um, okay, I've been reading a comic book called Die. And that's die as in, like, single or plural of dice? Which is it? A die is the uh, plural of dice. Okay, yeah. And this is like, imagine, you, you know the old cartoon uh, Dungeons and Dragons where they get trapped in the the game? Jumanji. Yeah, sure. And um, Isekai. Yeah. Oh Sword Art. Oh my God, oh my God. Both your answers. 
are right. Re-Zero? Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. Re-Zero. Because... Okay, John. Ram or Ram? I don't know. I don't think I even got to them. The blue one? Yeah, the blue one. Who gives a shit? They're color swaps. Yeah. What? Oh my Neve. god. Whoa! <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Neve, I was joking. <laughs> you just ruined this podcast for everyone listening. People love that shit. And you just fucking broke everyone's heart. I want to take a moment and just apologize to our audience. Um, we like to have fun here on the podcast. Sometimes we say things that are are not okay. And there is a lot of fallover from John's anime channel that, you know, listened to this. So I take it for talking. A lot of fallover from John's anime channel. So I think if we talk shit about anime, um, might be a point of contention with some listeners. You know, I do, you know, I do like one anime video a year now, and it's been that way for like three years, and I'm still a fucking anime channel. Yeah. I mean... Fair. Professor Anime. No, Brian, that's an actual YouTuber. I can't <laughs> use that. Oh, how about the anime mechanic? Need help me out here. Um, Let's spitball. Stupid anime wolf. Uh... Okay, Neve, I'm going to give you some direction. Let's make it, like, shocking. Like, let's make it something people would not expect. The anime outhouse. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> The uh, anime dungeon. The anime. Shake those shackles. I nearly guarantee you the anime dungeon is a. We've thrown channel. away the key. You're locked up in the anime dungeon with Uncle, me. Uncle Crapper's anime outhouse. That is really good. That <laughs> yeah. is, that's fucking brilliant. Anyway. Someone wants to take that. They can. Smells like real anime down here. <laughs> so that's. That, guys, that's Die. I would recommend it. Uh, okay, so look. Is this an anime? No, this is a comic book. <laughs> what the fuck is a comic book? Uh, it's, it's like, it's it's like, like an anime, except if it was a manga, except if it was American. It's like a Western manga. If, if anyone ever made a Western manga, that's what it would be. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so let me give you an example. What if... Okay. Say Goku. Right? Yeah. What if he were Spider-Man? <laughs> it's okay sometimes so it's this guy right and if he dies he wakes back up at the start of the same day but he meets this girl she's really fond of him for some reason and then as it goes on he meets two identical maids Rem and (laughs) That's, that's that's the best I could describe ReZero as because I don't even remember what the fucking it's story just was. This, this like blank slate of a guy, and everyone thinks he's fucking amazing. Yeah. Oh man. I don't know if Die is real now. Die is I I. It used to be. Man, I got such an. I I got a guy on my Discord. I hope he's not listening to this. I'm so sorry if you are. And he gave me like the most impassioned. I have a recommendation for you. Do you want a story? That's about, and like just this big fucking spiel. And then he goes, that series is ReZero. <laughs> and I wrote back and I was like, I can't believe I sat through all that for a fucking ReZero recommendation. 
And then he was like, oh, and I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry, because, you know, I'll shit on people on the Let's Fight a Boss Discord all fucking day. But that iPad 12 Discord, gotta be real gentle with those babies. They're very sensitive folk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so a bunch of kids get trapped in a world of Dungeons and Dragons. Then they mysteriously get out of it, and none of them can talk about what happened. If anyone asks them, they just, all they'll say is, I can't talk about it. And then... 20 years later, as adults, they get pulled back into the same world. It's like they're all the same people, except they have very serious emotional problems now. All of them. And this comic fucking rules. It's really, really great. Uh, My favorite thing about it is kind of just like the world. Like, it's called Dungeons & Dragons. It's like a weird cyberpunk, never-ending story kind of world like it just it it's it's hard it's hard to compare it to anything because it just it takes like tropes from different places but mixes them together in this really like interesting and beautiful way and like the classes each of the characters have are really really interesting as, as well like and um, one of them is like a cyber ninja but to turn on her powers she needs to find a very particular gold coin every day and she's like a junkie so she really needs it and then like another person She's called like a god binder and she basically has a bunch of gods but to get them to do anything she has to like go into these weird mind conversations with them and convince them to help her and it's really fun how like all the another one's like a, a dictator but it's like she basically has preacher powers so she says things and they happen and she can make people do anything and it's really fun watching them interact with this like really kind of messed up Dungeons and Dragons world with these super interesting powers and um, a lot of the times with comic books I like more I think I like simpler artwork and less that's like not that rendered but this is this is like hyper hyper rendered like you know each panel is like a painting but it's beautiful and like the art direction in it is incredible like the world is just filled with like these huge big swats of red and purple and it's just constantly amazing. Like, there's one point when a dragon shows up, and there's just this panel of, like, the dragon filling the sky with fire, and it just silhouetted against that, and then facing it, and it's kind of like, it's meant to be a really harrowing encounter, and it really, really feels like that just from that first panel, and I was just having a really, really good time with it. It's really good, like, fantasy, like, real fantasy that is, like, it feels like it's borrowing from other stuff, but not leaning on it and really carving out its own thing. And I've only read the first volume, so I don't know where it's going long term, but I had a really, really good time with the, just that much. And um, I think it's really cool that they finally like made a Western manga, and I genuinely don't know why they don't make more. So die, uh, you can find it. It's the only comic book, that's what they're calling it, ever yep. released. Anyway, uh, Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust. Yeah. Uh, Fucking brilliant. Um, I had never seen this movie. What? Yeah, I know. This is something that I must have picked up in like Tower Records about 200 times and been like, no, not this week. You know? <laughs> it's, probably, it's, it's still there in Tower Records. Oh, yeah, 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 for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I finally, finally, finally watched it. And yes, Neve, that movie's a lot of fun. The movie's amazing. Um, it's the, it has some yeah. of the most decadent animation I, that first scene 
oh, it's the most fucking metal shit, and the vampires riding through the village, and all the crosses and steeples, and there's like, like Brian, like from a comping perspective, there's like eighty fucking layers in that scene. Oh yeah, there, there's way too much going on. Crazy, um, but yeah, I loved it. It's about a big tall, it's a big tall man, and he just he's a big floppy hat, and he's a vampire hunter. And he, they give you all that in a prologue text dump. Yep. Because mm-hmm. this is the sequel to a 1985 film, which isn't very good, apparently. Um, it's okay. It's okay. It was influential. Yeah. Okay. I've never seen it, but... But but the sequel, Bloodlust. Yeah. That came out in 2000, which is what we're talking about now. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's it's great. And, like, it's, it's just wacky as well. Like, every couple of minutes, there's just... Like, I just, I just love this scene where he just, like, he's riding through the desert and he stops on his horse and he talks to the little old man who lives in his hand. And then there's these just giant sand eels just come bursting out of the sand. And then the next scene, like, fucking 20 seconds later, he has to get into a laser fortress. And then he's fighting a circus full of mutants. And it's just... And then I think, like, Jesus made of light appears and starts destroying the mutants. And it's just a constant just fun time um, it, it gets a little like maybe long in the second half I thought I thought things kind of slow down a little bit and then we get to the fucking spaceship and ju- beautiful fantastic it really reminds me of like Mad Max and stuff where it's like a road trip movie yeah, yeah. and it's um, like a post-apocalyptic high fantasy future yeah. it's it's such a good setting and a kind of it, it it's very occult, but it the uh, I liked all the technical futurism yeah. and it's about all, it as it's, well. It's also one of those things where like if you haven't seen it, you are not aware of how many things you've seen that have been like inspired or at least kind of reference it. Because yeah. like there's some scenes from it, and I was like, this is this is just fucking Bloodborne. Like yeah. this is wow, this is Bloodborne. Like you, you know how people always say Berserk and From Software, like From Software, like are very much like borrowing from Berserk they're it's yeah it's the same with Vampire Hunter D yeah completely like some of the architecture and like the red and everything it's it was really really fucking cool it's to me I think one of the best vampire movies it has such a good vampire romance like oh yeah it's so Meyer tragic Link is such a good vampire I really like him he's yeah. just like tall decadent romantic but the, also yeah. super spooky and scary the bit where he gets out of the carriage because he's willing to do that for for his love. Mm-hmm. It's that's, so that's good. That's fucking great. That's like a real, oh shit, he's not the bad guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. Their relationship was so sweet. Yeah, it was super sweet. I own two cells from this movie. But those cells are super fucking expensive. So the only one I could get of Meyer Link is where he's dying. Oh. Was he your profile? No, he wasn't. He was for ages. Yeah, was he? Yeah. Okay. When you search Meyer Link, some of my fan art comes up. Just saying. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, it's it's a great movie. Um, I really like the uh, dub of it as well because it's all like the early two thousands anime voice actors. Yeah, like Faye Valentine's voice actors in it. Kamari Ronso. Yeah, is that her name? Yeah, exactly. No, Kamari from Final Fantasy yeah. <laughs> uh, Ten. His voice actor is. Uh, oh, Kama- wait, Kamari, Kamari Ronso. Who who is that? Who, which he's, one? He's the fucking blue line oh, dog. Oh, the furry. Yeah, okay, yeah. sorry. Bender from Futurama voices like four different Neve, characters. I want, to, I want to apologize to you for not knowing the name of the voice actor from the furry from Final Fantasy X. It's, it's okay. very important to her. It's true. We have a lot of furry listeners. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, This was a fun movie. I also watched Jinro Wolf Brigade. I've been kind of like 
watching anime stuff from around that era. Have you guys seen this? Uh, I'm not particularly pushed. Like it's it's there. I, it's it it it's on my watch list. But you know, yeah, like it's worth. Like I, I've heard a lot about this movie over the years, and it's it's worth watching in that there's some really cool visuals on it. You've you you would recognize like the troops from this movie where it's like big like heavy helmets, deep red set eyes, real serious SWAT looking guys with big heavy machine guns. And the scenes with them look fucking amazing. There's a bunch of scenes of them just fighting like protesters. And um, because this is like basically a paramilitary group designed to keep civil order in Japan. Um which is a really cool idea if you don't think about it too hard in the modern climate. The film itself, I feel like I feel like it is kind of heralded as like a big classic. And honestly, to me, I didn't really get much out of it beyond thinking that some of the scenes look really, really cool. It feels really influenced by Akira to a kind of insane degree. Like, there's a bunch of shots from it where it's like, the animation is so similar. You know that one machine gun shot in Akira where the guy on the ground just gets lit up by a bunch of machine guns? Yeah, yeah. There are so many of those shots. And they're really impressive if you're not bothered by, like, horrible violence. And then, like, there's a lot of stuff, like... There's three separate scenes where a man and a woman stand in front of a chain link fence and talk about how they're going to get away from this town. And like, that's an exact scene from Akira with Tetsuo and uh, Kaori. That poor girl. I fucking love that scene so much from Akira. It's so beautiful. But um, it's fine. I, I, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't say anyone needs to go out and see it unless you just really want to see some really fucking awesome looking power armor. But yeah, it was definitely more like a stylistic thing to me than anything that like, Hits super heavy, and maybe there's like some layers there I'm just not getting, but I had a lot more fun with Vampire Vampire Hunter D. Neve, how about a little Shit's Creek update? Oh, uh, you're not gonna like it. Okay. I've finished season three and I'm I'm out. Wow, really? Yeah. It really to me it was it's still treading water. It's still the same thing. And I'm kind of like it's kind what, of What's going on? Tell me where the separate characters are at. Oh, <sighs> But um, you're, you're, like, not enjoying it either. It's not even that I'm not enjoying it. I'm just waiting for something to happen and nothing happens. Like, they're just still there existing. I think what bothers me is it's, like, I expected more from the, the townspeople, but they just seem like props for the roses to kind of grow. And not even, they don't even grow that much, or at least they haven't so far. So at the end of season three, David is kind of in a weird love triangle with um, uh, Stevie and this guy, who's like kissing both of them. Um, Myra yeah. is on the um, town council now and she's making changes. Uh, Johnny is finding pleasure in work, it, working in around the town, doing different things like working in the um, cafe and mm. stuff. And honestly, Alexis is probably the one who's had the most growth. I liked her episode where she had to hang out with Moira and they didn't know how to hang out with each other as a mother and daughter because yeah, Moira clearly has a favorite and that's that's David and she had to prepare questions to ask her own daughter and I thought that was kind of sad and I thought there was another good bit with Alexis where David is going for a driving test and he's really anxious and stuff and she's just kind of like people don't care about you David and he takes it really badly but she's trying to be like no one is you're thinking about yourself more than anyone else's so don't worry about it. And then he kind of later on figures that out and he says thank you to her. So like Alexis so far is having the most growth, but that is like two episodes out of a whole season and it's like pulling teeth. 
And like, it's still like funny, but I just thought it was going to grow from there. Like a lot of sitcoms that I like are, are funny, but like kind of communicate a bit more. And this I can actually remember feeling anything. like like I, I was still like enjoying it where I was with you, but I do remember feeling like season three is definitely the point where I was like, okay, I think maybe this show has peaked and I'm gonna stick with it for a little longer, but I'm I think I might be falling off. And that actually turned around a lot. All my favorite memories from this show are after the point you're at. <laughs> but like I'm not telling you to keep going I think I if this is how you feel about it you should just drop it but it's like when it's funny it's funny but like it to me now like say out of a season it's like four episodes I'm really liking and then the other mm. ones it's not that like they're bad I think it's like a really good show to just have on in the background but it's kind of like you know I dropped it to watch all of Mandalorian season two you know and then like I'll probably go back to it it seems like filler TV to me right now mm. I could in in season three I could see that I think if you were to say that like by the end of it I'd be like no no way but okay. yeah I I could see that I can remember having kind of similarish conversations with Michelle. Is there is there any growth to the townspeople? Because here's here's my thing. I'm from a small town, so I thought it would be interesting to have this rich family move to a small town and kind of experience life there. Because if you are a person who moves into a small town who maybe has their little small town house. People from a small town don't like that, you know? They might... No one gives a fuck what people from small towns think, Neve. <laughs> this is like people... Like, there is politics of a small town that just do not exist mm. in this small town. It doesn't feel real. It feels like a front. Like, it feels like there's two locations in kind it. Of, it feels a little bit like an open world from a video game. Waiting for the roses to do things. Yeah, kind of. Like, like there's this vet in it who fucking bothers me the most... Because no small town vet looks like he looks. No small town vet makes money how he does. And no small town vet just has that kind of vibe. It's like, that's just not reality. And I'm not saying the TV needs to be reality. I'm just saying there's stories that come from being in a small town that can be hilarious. Mm. That could give a lot of growth to all these characters that they're just kind of not utilizing. These characters are just kind of props to say something funny or silly sometimes Mm. and i think that's kind of it feels like a missed opportunity nearly to me i could see that yeah for sure i think the character who gets the most growth in the small town is stevie and it's still not a lot yeah um this is a story specifically about the roses ah it kind of feels that way but it also doesn't because it also involves some of the side you know it involves stevie and it involves like mush and you know, the shits, it's shits Greek, mm. you know? And I don't even feel like get, they get their dues sometimes. Sometimes it's just the roses kind of insulting them until the roses kind of stick up for them, you know? And a, a part of the sort of story, a part of the series I really enjoyed is the roses learning to be more respectful mm. of the people in the town and learning they're not as, they're not stupid like they kind of think they are. But where you're at, they're kind of at the halfway point between that. I for sh- I really really liked where they went and what like where it all ended up, but yeah, I can I can empathize where you're at. I might finish it. It depends if better TV comes along or not. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I'm kind of disappointed a little bit because I do like the cast quite a lot, and I do like when Moira says "baby." It's, it's very, very funny. funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. There's so like, many YouTube compilations of that. I felt similar. I have a feeling you're not going to like it in general as much as I did, but. 
at the same time, all my favorite moments are kind of to come. Okay. Just silence, Neve. I'm just okay. Maybe like I'll see. As I said, I'll probably end up watching more. Neve's We're in lockdown. Favorite thing, Neve's favorite fucking thing is for me to go. Oh, Neve, I think you'd like this. And then she goes and she watches it, and she's like, "I'm gonna fucking." Hate Dude, this. I did not spend my time watching three seasons of TV to dislike. And she it. takes out her little notepad and she's I like, "Here's everything." Notepad. And then and then she specifically she remembers what I said about it and then says them in reverse back to me to destroy John, me. John, I just think you should give the good place another go. I don't watch bad the TV. The Good Place is such a better show. It's so not the good. The Good Place is fucking oh garbage. The good Place it's, it's from the, it's, the Good Place is Woo! the most the twee. The Good Place you, has you heart has oh, so yeah. talks about philosophy. Saw, what the meaning of it is this to be is a, a good good play, person. Good Place is the most person? twee bullshit I have hey, ever seen. Shit's Creek is the most. The actors have no charisma. There's nothing behind it. There's nothing behind the Good Place. Yeah, fucking happy. You threw the bomb. Yeah, Brian. I was trying to avoid that the entire time. The entire time she was like, oh my god, I can't believe she watched the... And then you fucking did it, Brian. You did it. Oh yeah, and everyone listening is so fucking happy. I forgot about the good (laughs) Oh yeah, me too. That (laughs) last season. That last season is not very good. It's literally the worst sitcom I've ever seen. No, it isn't. That's not true. (laughs) Well, it's worse than Two and a Half Men. Is Sybil still good? I, Do people remember Sybil? You can't watch it on anything. She, she wore tennis shoes. That's all I remember. Very, very, very white sneakers. Sybil Shepherd, everyone. If anyone can get me all the episodes of Sybil, just like... What was Sybil? It was a sitcom that starred Sybil Sheridan and you know... Sybil Shepherd. Is, is it Shepherd? Yeah. Or Sheridan? I don't know. It, it could be Sybil Sheridan in the show. And she's playing, yes. Like, yeah, whatever. And it's it's... I watched it all as a really young teenager and I think it was too old for me. But she has a daughter who kind of hates her but kind of doesn't and her best friend is the main woman from The Good Wife. And I just remember always really liking it and my mom telling me stop, not not letting me watch it because it was too adult. And I'd really love to revisit it but it is not on any streaming service in Ireland and you cannot torrent it anywhere. It's just this black hole. I found the DVDs on Amazon but someone was like 100 euro please and I was like no. <laughs> so. Neve, I'll check some of my weird websites. Yeah. If yeah. Anyone, yeah. Sybil. Does it exist? Neve wants to know. It's, it'll be there. Uh, can I talk about a film called Scare Me? You sure can. This is a horror movie. It's I, th- I believe it's available on Shudder. Uh, I think it was shown at Sundance about a year ago, and then Shudder bought it, and it's streaming there. And it's a horror movie for people who don't really like horror movies or don't like the blood and the gore aspect of horror. Because it's just about a man and a woman who are in a cabin, and there's been a power cut, and they're telling each other scary stories. Uh, The woman is played by uh, Aya Cash, who was Stormfront in season two of The Boys. And she's fantastic in it. She plays an established horror novelist. And then the guy is the writer director, uh, a guy called Josh Rubin, who I kept thinking was looked like the, one of the guys from New Girl, but he isn't. Um, and he's really, really good as well. But I think Aya Cash's character like really, really gets into it. And I think some of it is kind of improv comedy. It's a very simple set and there's a lot of lighting to kind of get them to tell their stories. And a lot of it is done with sound design. And it's just a really interesting way to do a horror movie without, you know, upsetting you. 
as a viewer? When they tell their stories, does it go into like a different shot to like visualize them or something? Or is it just them? It'll spotlight them. It'll ah. do different lighting changes. Uh, they might teleport around the room because they might be playing multiple characters within the story. Oh, cool. Um, uh, maybe some of the furniture might get more exaggerated, like like a creaking rocking chair really goes for it. Mm. Um, they'll be talking about like there's something up in the attic. And so you'll have to go up to the attic to tell those parts of the stories. But like his silhouette will change that. So it doesn't look like 100% like a human, but because it's in silhouette, you can't really tell what it is. Then about halfway through the movie, a pizza delivery guy shows up and can't remember the actor's name, but I think he's in Saturday Night Live. But he kind of joins in for one of the stories and then kind of joins out. So it is kind of like watching a stage play as a movie where they have a limited set and a lot of it has to be kind of in your imagination. That stuff is super interesting. Some of the dialogue is very, like, 2020. People say the word hashtag out loud. Oh, no. And so... Do anyone... Does anyone do that? Like, ever? Okay. So, you know that diet app I joined that's kind of like a cult? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is properly a cult. <laughs> oh, no. It is. Yeah, totally. Oh, dear. Um, they have a thing where they'll say, like, give you a piece of... Oh, it's so fucking awful. They'll give you a piece of like information about like nutrition, and then afterwards they'll just write hashtag vegetables are great. But they'll do it in multiple times a post, and I got so fucking annoyed with it. I left them a little review, and I was like, "Yeah, help me lose weight. A lot of good info on this app. When putting hashtags in front of anything does not make it a joke. No, no." Um, so there's bits in this movie that I think are going to really, really date it in like two years, maybe even sooner. Who knows? Um, and that's kind of unfortunate because other aspects of it are so timeless, especially the art of storytelling, which is what this film is about. Could you give me like an example of a hashtag line from it? I'm curious now. This isn't like a quote from the film writing, but this is kind of like what I would be evoking. Feeling real juiced about my project. Hashtag girl boss. Like that kind of dialogue. Neve talks like that. Like just stuff that really makes... So like... I, you, I, 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 I guess I guess sure parts do. of this movie do make your skin crawl. It's not the horror parts. Yeah. It's the really just... <laughs> Brian, dated. do you want to hear my story with this movie? Yeah. So you said watch it. And I said, okay. So I torrented something called Scare Me 2020. And I started playing it. And it was really low budget. And there was this man sitting in a chair in a waiting room. But it was clearly shot in someone's house. And the woman at the plinth goes, she'll see you now. And the guy takes out what looks like a switchblade, but it's a comb and combs back his hair. Then he puts the switchblade away. He goes into the room and three naked women wearing vampire capes start having sex with him. And I was you were like, just watching the Resident Evil 8 trailer. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't think this is right. Brian said this was about storytelling in a cabin. I, I love I love the idea of you texting Brian and being like, I don't know if this is I, I don't know if this is for me. And Brian messaged you back being like, no, it gets real good. Yeah, it gets real good. <laughs> no, I was stay, like, stay I don't know you. what this is. 
right and I flicked through it and then there was like people at a camp telling stories but then they started having sex too and I was like oh what Brian gotcha I turned it off and and then I started googling scare me and stuff and I saw that it was the movie and who was in it and I was like I don't know what I've downloaded, <laughs> but it's not what I wanted to it's see. It's okay, Neve. The same thing happened to me with Cool World and Ghost World. <laughs> Those are very different movies. Still never seen Ghost World. <laughs> Ghost World's great. Yeah. It's good. It's got Tora Birch in it. I like her. I don't know. Hashtag I'm just a girl. Neve, that's sexist. It's girl <laughs> boss. You have to be empowering. <laughs> this is your fight song. <laughs> Oh, that aesthetic is so... Sometimes I really... I get confused whether we're crossing a line or not. And I feel like this episode, we've spent the entire time on that fucking line. (laughs) I think we're okay to point and laugh at ourselves. I don't know. Sometimes people are like, you guys are too mean. We're... No. Maybe, but... (laughs) Americans talk weird. (laughs) Yeah, what are you going to do? We don't know. This your is, your this Rebecca is told me we were too mean. Really? When? Yeah. Uh, last time me and her hung out, I was shocked. But that scares me, because I'll take her opinion seriously. Like, you guys, <laughs> eh. But her? Mm-hmm. Whatevs. <laughs> <laughs> Did you actually end up finding the movie, Neve? Yeah, like the actual good movie. No, because I was watching that kind of weird porn. Like, that, that happened yesterday. So you, and watched then... that so you of... were like, well, I gotta finish. <laughs> so, so you watched this instead of watching Sybil. No. No, I turned it off and like I just I was playing games and I never got around to watching it and I was just like I'll just get Brian to help me find. That I will. I'll, I'll give movie. you a bunch of stuff to watch. Sometimes I get like stressed about because you know Brian is so. Brian's like one of those dads who's really good at fixing things, except it's the internet and you need him to find things for you. Yeah, he's so good at that. But I always I'm I'm always conscious of like wearing out whatever credit I have with them. You know that kind of way? Well, John, I, I, I sought out that game for you earlier on and you really fucking blew yourself in the ass by going, oh, well, I already have that game. And what game was that, John? I don't think this is an important discussion. Come on, no, no, it's about video games. What, John... It's a wrestling game. I love wrestling games. So we do believe No Mercy is one of the best games of all time. I'm just going to get the title of this game. Is that okay? Brian, John? I don't really think that's necessary. And I didn't ask you to seek this out. You just linked it to me. And that... I don't... Um, I was thinking of John when I saw this okay, game. Okay. Uh, Mad Men. Season 1 and 2. Let's let's Super talk- Wrestle Angels. Oh my god. That's all we need to... It's Mad Men, John. <sighs> so I've been watching... I've been re-watching Mad Men. Still good? Still like it? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, that's a weird show. That is a weird show on so many levels. It is a lot... I forgot how miserable it is. It is harrowing. At it point. is a Especially... show where everyone is so unhappy all the time. The stuff that happens to the female character, especially in season two. So there's... Oh, God. The scene that really stands out to me there is there's a scene where um, there's a scene where a secretary is like chased down the sc- down the hall and the guy's like I'm gonna get you I'm gonna get you and then he catches her and like lifts up her skirt for the whole office to see and I'd be like wow that's fucking crazy but like my mom was like working in an office in the seventies and she she has told me stories that fucking awful and it is. It is like a nightmare to see that now. 
in a way that makes the show very uncomfortable in a way like I think it it shouldn't flinch away from that stuff to some degree. It's it's fucking tricky. But um it's a really beautifully shot show. Have you you've watched it, Brian? Yeah, yeah. Have you I've, watched it, Neve? I got around to season three and I was like, eh. Yeah, same. I think season three is kind of when it melts. Mm. Season yeah. three, to me, like after that point, it starts to become like it's one of those shows that starts to feel like fan fiction of itself. The first three seasons are very handsome and that's where it is. Yeah. But um I've been having I, I've been I I enjoyed season two a lot. Like I was like, okay, yeah, I remember, I remember this feeling. I remember all these characters and like, fuck Peggy, she tries so hard and she's so good. Poor Peggy. Poor Peggy. I love Elizabeth Moss. She's so good. Um. Yeah. Like, uh, there's there's parts of this show I really really love. I think it really like. It does capture this feeling of, like, these people are the 60s and, you know, it's when marketing is becoming a really big thing and, like, it's about advertisers, it's about people trying to lay out, like, this perfect idyllic lifestyle and really trying to sell that to the American public in a way that didn't really exist before that. And a lot of these characters, like, they have that lifestyle, they have, like, the perfect family, they have all this and they're fucking miserable and they can't understand why they're unhappy because these are people with everything they're rich they're respected they're everything like that is don draper's whole thing like on the surface he's like the perfect version of the 60s man but inside he's like nothing he's like a weird awful shell and i think the show does a really good job of exploring a lot of that and then like there is there is humanity to it too like there is little moments where like There'll be, like, once an episode where two people who might not even hang out that much have, like, a good moment that episode. And those moments kind of keep you going in a way. It's like, okay, there is something genuine to these people who are all kind of awful for their own own reasons. But um, I think I remembered it as, like, as a zanier, nicer show. Because, like, I the first time I watched this was probably, like, Jesus, I don't even know, 10, 15 years ago. And I think I was way stupider or way more hopeful or both. Yeah, like the first two seasons especially, I really, really enjoyed. Season three, I'm starting to fall off on it a bit. Still having a good time, but I can definitely remember I hit a point with that show before where I was like, okay, I'm done. And I just stopped watching. You should watch The Americans. You said that to me so many times. I know, and you haven't done it. I watched Shit's yeah. Greek. Okay, I'm going to come. Get gonna... to season three of The Americans and tell me it sucks. <laughs> okay, I'll get to season one and a half of The Americans and be like, I just don't feel like it's going anywhere, Neve. <laughs> Go on. I'm... Your criticism of Shit's Creek are completely valid, and I felt exactly the same way when I was where you were at. Okay. I think I might have been enjoying it more, but I get you. It, me, me and Neve joke, but, you know, she, she got some good points sometimes. Um... And that, yeah, I think, I think, is that it for our strategy? I am sorry to practice. No, I want one more for Brian. <sighs> Brian gets real upset when I... This is a documentary feature film that I think everybody should watch, especially both the. It's called Not For Resale. It was made in 2019, and it is about retro game shops. Oh, cool, cool. And uh, it covers a bunch of different retro game shops in America and one or two in Canada, and it just talks about... The business of owning one, running one, how they come into owning a retro game shop and what kind of customers they have. And the discussion of game preservation and digital storefronts and the space that they occupy and where that's going to go in the next decade. 
Yeah, especially in the land of remakes and remasters. Yes. And so they'll talk about, so like you've, you've got your typical um, uh, New England uh, small town retro game shop. And you've got ones in New York. I, I, I've actually been to a few of these that were in the documentary, which was super cool. Uh, and there's ones in San Diego, so all all different parts of America. But but they are but but they're all kind of run by guys in their late thirties to early fifties, and they were super into video games in the late eighties, early nineties, and it just sort of stuck with them. And them collecting video games became became them selling video games secondhand to them running a warehouse, to them running a shop front. And it's kind of them talking about people will come in, they'll buy joke games, like like they'll buy that shitty E.T. game, and they'll buy it, but they don't know why they're buying it. They're just buying it for the novelty aspect of it. Superman 64 yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, the woman who runs Pink Gorilla Games, who has her own YouTube channel, I can't, I always forget her name, but um, she, she, she makes some great points at the end because there's a bit where they go to PAX, and there's a few of them doing a panel and they're having a discussion but they're kind of talking about like record shops as well because that's a similar kind of idea but like there's only so many people out there that will buy all the retro games they need and once they have their collection completed that's it and there isn't a younger generation to replace them and so there is a younger generation growing up that would love to run their own retro game shops but the problem is they're too late because they should have done it 10 years ago because a lot of these collectors They'll collect, and those items aren't going to get released back into the market. No. And occasionally they'll commit. There, there's some bits where someone will come in with like their entire collection, and they're just getting rid of it because mm. they've moved on to another phase of their life. Which, for me, I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? Another phase or another collection. Like Some people are just like, I'm changing hobbies now, and yeah. then they get rid of everything. Just going to get into model trains. Mm-hmm. And like, it's really about... like Going after games that are very hard to find, or like rare treasures... There's a lot of stuff that I was like, that's exactly why I collect games. Uh, but then they talk about uh, indie games and how it was impossible to release indie games 10 years ago. But with digital storefronts, it's a lot easier. But And there's a bit where they get into Rocket League and they talked about how Rocket League is actually a sequel to a, a, a previous game. But nobody knows that. But Rocket League got so successful because it was just a lightning strike with the PS uh, Plus mm-hmm. account. And people fell onto it and never fell off and it was a prototype game that they just sort of went with and to this day the studio is still updating rocket league oh yeah and did that yeah. push sales of the older game game the retro game it was based nope. on oh, okay no it, it's <laughs> it, it's so it's so strange it. um and then rocket they, league is one of those things where it's become nearly more like a, a storefront mm. than it's like hey you never hear, talk, hear anyone talk about like if Fortnite is good or not because at this point, it doesn't matter, yeah. you know? Uh, but they were talking about, like, like a game like Minecraft. If Minecraft existed in the 90s, that game would not be successful because there's no way to explain that game without a digital storefront. It would have, like, a little PC scene for people who really gave a shit, and that'd be it. Yeah, and so they're talking about, like, the quirky games that you would see in a retro game shop and mm-hmm. how those games inspired a lot of indie devs, but... There's a DNA that kind of gets carried through. I mean, it's it's kind of like Cave Story in a way. I always feel yeah. like if Cave Story was ten years later, I think it would have blown up so much harder. It would it would be like an Undertale. Yeah, but now, 
Or do you think it would be skipped over because there is Undertale and all this other stuff? If it found, like, if it was like Undertale and it found that, like, lightning strike, if it had the Mm. right time, like, it could easily just be skipped over, like, Undertale. But I'd say if it released in the Undertale window, I don't know that it, like, becomes that big because that was just a fucking, I don't even know. And there's, like, a bunch of factors that contributed to that. But I think you would have a lot more. I think people would be arguing about it for Game of the Year stuff, put it that way. Yeah, I don't know. There's just so many good indie games now and there's just mm. so little time to play them and yeah. just and things that's, do that's, not get that's, eyes on them. That's the crazy thing. Like, Cave Story is kind of responsible for that, but it also never had the success that a lot of the current titles do either. Like, it's it when you look at what it was and what indie titles were back then, it was ma- it's massively successful by what was expected, but, like, it's nowhere even close to, like, an Undertale, an Among Us, a Braid, any of that stuff. Uh, here's a question that maybe some of our audience can answer or maybe you guys have an opinion on it but like we're all in our 30s and we're collectors mm-hmm. like we collect different types of vintage game stuff like brian you collect game boy games game boy games i collect a lot of um vintage merchandising like that's probably how i would describe it uh, call cards from and, games or, and, and lara croft and lara croft stuff mm-hmm. and i started getting into ps2 collecting again because i really like that console ps2 is a fun console mm-hmm. yeah i got I, a really nice uh, see-through blue controller recently fuck yeah um, I, I, i'm really enjoying collecting gamecube games as well yeah and like john you collect stuff as well i have multiple dreamcasts and some dreamcast games that i've never played so we're all kind of retro collectors do you think we are the age group where that stops because we're the ones who have nostalgia for these games, these things that you can collect and have kind of limited runs on stuff? Like, do you think there's someone out there or maybe in 10 years time that's going to start collecting 360 games? Or do you think someone goes back and just starts picking up PlayStation 2 games out of curiosity? I mean, like- I think there'll always be a scene for it in the same way there'll always be a scene for like comic collecting. But at a certain point, some comic collecting... Comics are valuable because there wasn't a lot of them printed back then, and then a lot of them were destroyed in, like, the book-burning days and stuff like that. I don't know that PlayStation 2 games are ever going to be valuable, but certain mm, Wii U Some games. of them have blown up really yeah, yeah, they, weirdly, they like dot, all the dot hacks, which I used to have. Expensive. A lot of JRPGs are quite expensive. Yeah, but you're, you're talking, like, releases. 100, 200 books. Like, yeah. there's there's very few. The, on, the, the only thing that's going to break, like, quadruple figures is stuff that had very limited runs, like, mm. with magazines or for competitions but and stuff. I don't mean, like, like crazy level of collectors, like, casual not, not collecting. Value. Like, just for fun. I don't know, because part of me feels like maybe the day has passed, but then another part of me is, you know what the internet loves to do? It loves to recycle old shit into weird new shit. Because, like, at the same time, like, like, it's very hard to get a new original Game Boy now. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, Neil. Like, it's tough. It's weird because, like, you know, I was like, I'll play my PlayStation 2. And it's just like, okay, well, I don't have a SCART TV anymore or mm-hmm. CRT TV anymore. And that's, it's like, there's a technological barrier with a lot of yeah. older stuff as well. And yeah. it's just, I just wonder how long, you know, shops like that have nearly, not just in terms of, like, the economy or something, but in terms of, are there collectors out there in I know, the same way? I uh, know in 2020, game collecting, the sp- the prices went up and I know as well with trading cards as well mm. uh, just because people are at home and they don't know what to do with their disposable income that they're yeah like that's the thing like Pokemon cards are worth yeah. more now than they have been for decades so 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 there is a thing of people surrounding themselves with nostalgia to cheer themselves up 
But is that just 30 year olds again? Yeah, <laughs> like... I, I, I think that's short term because there is a bit in the documentary where they talk about they sell the pop vinyls and stuff in a lot of these retro game shops and like generic Sonic and Mario merch. But like the kids don't know the games. They just know the characters. Mm. I do wonder is like maybe a pay play, uh, kind of part of it, like where you are professionally in your life, because like. When you hit 30, like, at that point, you've probably been in your chosen field long enough that you're not making, you know, what you were when you started. And maybe, like, there is, like, an element of disposable income letting people enjoy those kind of hobbies more. Because, like, I can remember being in my early 20s and being like, oh, shit, this is a rare Dreamcast game. I do not have 40 free euro right now. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, I've always been a collector, but I've always done it on the cheap, like stamps. Mm. So there is other things people can collect. I just wonder if the interest for stuff that they don't have nostalgia for, but is maybe there based on just like history. It's a really interesting question. Yeah, like are more people inclined to collect maybe special editions of new games rather than old games? in, In time, I could totally see like... The same way people romanticize a lot of, like, Super Nintendo, NES era games, I don't think that same romanticization has happened for, like, PlayStation and N64, or even PlayStation 2. I think it could. Mm-hmm. Like, I think at some point it there's will, going to be will. a resurgence of that kind of stuff. You're slowly seeing more, like, low-poly games come out now and stuff like that, and I think it's taken a long time, but I could, I could definitely see people getting into that stuff to the point that maybe you don't even need to be nostalgic to take an interest in that history. But who knows? It could just not happen as well, you know? Because there's so many other ways to play things. Like before, it was hard to get the PlayStation 1 versions of Final Fantasy, but now you can just play them all on your Switch, Yeah, you know? Yeah, there's availability to a lot of those. I remember before, I was like, you know what I've never played? I've never played Devil May Cry 3 all the way through. So I, you know, I... Got my PlayStation, it wasn't working, had to buy another PlayStation 2, I tracked down a, like, a decently priced copy of DM, Dead May Cry 3, I pre-ordered it, I played it, I put it in, and I was like, oh my god, this looks like fucking mud, and I went and I downloaded the remaster. Sometimes you just want the best, the most crisp version of that jank. Yeah, and like, <laughs> it, it's really impressive that it runs at 60 frames a second on a PlayStation 2, but oh boy, did that resolution, was that resolution the trade-off? I really, really want like a big fat CRT uh, television just to play some of my older games, just so I can see how shit they're meant to look. Because blowing stuff up that's only meant to be 480p up to 1080p or even up to 4K looks so bad. Yeah, Yeah. like I wish they were window box. In a in a lot of those old things, like you couldn't see the pixels it was blurred and weird and like that's how they were designed to look so it's weird because when we see super sharp pixels that's not necessarily how it was meant to be or how it was back then you can see all the mistakes yeah it's crazy strategy talk guys I've been playing Omori me too so this is the game, it's been five years in the making? I think we backed it on Kickstarter, or at least I did. Did you, did you, did you back it I on did Kickstarter? Not back it, I no. backed it on Kickstarter in like 2014. Yeah. I wow, think. holy shit. Um, Omoka is a very successful clothing label. Illustrator uh, and clothes designer. Yeah, yeah very I, I, like, yeah. the clothes are all very like Apparel. illustration yeah. based. Like they have kind of drawings of like anime people stuff i have several omokat 
pieces that I quite like. And it was one American woman, but now it's a studio. Yeah, whenever I see them at a con, it's like eight people working a giant booth. And the original artist herself is kind of anonymous. I think she used to have more of a presence. I don't think she does anymore. Yeah. But yeah, so basically they did a Kickstarter for a kind of RPG-like gay, like RPG maker style game called Omori and after a long, long development it it released on December 25th and uh, Brian, you've played a tiny amount of this game. Yeah, and I was getting the Kickstarter updates and they were like, okay, it's out. And then a week later they were like, okay, patch 1.1 is out. And then they did another update and they said, okay, patch 1.1 isn't working so we're going to revert back to version 1. And I played a tiny bit and I wasn't happy with how it looked, so I'm going to wait a couple months. Yeah, specifically you had problems with the cropping. Yeah. So basically, when you load it up and go full screen, it's kind of only is in like a small part of your screen. Okay. Yeah, which is... A big giant black frame is around it. Yeah. So this isn't out on any consoles yet or anything? No. It's meant to come out on Switch, and I might wait for the Switch version. I would I, definitely wait Because I'll probably version. get a code for that, because this has been in production so long, it was meant to have a 3DS version. Whoa, okay. Wow. Yeah. And I've definitely been having like a lot of those issues. Um, I've, I've been persisting, because I was really curious about this game, and I do really like this kind of game. This is kind of like... This is in like the DNA of like you know the Earthbounds and the Yume Nikki's and stuff like that. And I'd say if like you were to chart a course from like a Yume Nikki style game to like an Earthbound style game, you have Undertale, which would be closer to something like Earthbound, and then you have Yume Nikki, which would be close. Or you'd, you, Mori would be closer to like Yume Nikki. It's more surreal and disjointed. It's a lot, lot more surreal. And yeah. um, there is a like it's not full on like whatever the fuck Yume Nikki is. It's like, it has a proper story, it has characters, it has dialogue and all that kind of stuff. But it definitely, this game is trading on like this really surreal sense of being in a kind of dream world. All these abstract spaces that may or may not have an infinite void. Yeah, yeah. Like what, like the, the room you wake up in is like this tiny room in just this gigantic white void. And if you try and move outside the white, these hands grab you and teleport you back to the room. And there's a lot of this kind of stuff, and I think the game is at its strongest when it's kind of playing into that. There's some really fantastic, like, surreal imagery here. Like, you know, you'll walk into a new village, and one of the houses will just be this giant head with, like, massive pink pigtails. And then you walk into the house, and, like, the girl who lives there, it's her head. And there's a lot of... It has a lot of fun with its visuals, and I really, really like it like that. When you go into an actual, like, turn-based battle, all the enemy designs are all, like, Ill- like kind of really kind of sketchy, like, Omocat-style illustrations, and I wasn't sure about it from the trailer, but in a practice, I think it actually really, really works. Like, it's, it's got a really nice, rough feel to everything. It's like, a really, it, yeah, because you know the way the overworld has pixel art, but then the battles have a texture? Yeah. So it looks like crayon, or it looks like, uh, like chalk yeah and i think what bothered me about it initially was i didn't like the fact that there was a kind of like inconsistency between the overworld and the battles like they're using different visual languages in practice i actually think it works pretty well and a part of the reason for that is that like throughout the story they'll also do like these full screen illustrations so you'll be walking around with these very simple little pixel characters and then all of a sudden like something more significant and happen like a cutscene and it will go into like you know the more rendered style of 
like kind of colored illustration. I like that because a lot of old Super Nintendo games used to kind of work like that. And I don't know, it's it's actually something I kind of miss from games now. I miss that, like, I miss the idea of going into a hyper-rendered version of what you used to be. Like, I loved that in the original Final Fantasy VII. You know, that felt like such a fucking amazing moment whenever you'd hit one of those scenes. And yeah, I get a real what, treat. I get why we don't do it anymore, because, like, a lot of games just look better than that. But then I think about, like, Yakuza 0, and when that goes into, like, the full-on depth of field, 60 frames a second cinematic mode, it feels so great. And I think I just like that visual escalation to let you know that this moment is more significant. And it kind of works here. I'm about three hours in, and so far, it's been interesting. Like, the main story is kind of like, it's a group of kids who live in this weird dream world. But there's something, like, kind of... There's something, like, at the edges of this dream world. You see, like, kind of dark shadows and stuff, and then one of them disappears. There's moments where it kind of touches off some really, like, dark stuff, which is... It's unusual, because, like, a lot of the dialogue and stuff is really sugary sweet. And I kind of... This is where I start to have a bit of a problem with the game, because I feel like if it's intentionally trying to make a very kind of, like twee sugary experience for the purposes of like kind of subverting that later on then I think it's nailing that but if it's not trying to do that and this is like this is the best attempts at writing and stuff that's where I kind of start to have like a little more issue with it because there'll be moments when you know characters will say things like um I should try and be the best version of myself I'm sorry for doubting myself guys and it's like that sounds like Barney. Yeah, yeah, it, it really does sound like Barney. Um, <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys remember Barney? Those fucking kids were so... I'm going to beat the shit out of them. So there's moments like this where it could be an episode from Barney, you know? And then there's moments where it can, like, spiral into stuff about real kind of, like, you know, mental anguish or trauma. And those moments, like, the, when it goes real dark by itself, they are kind of effective. Like, the game knows what it's doing. I'm just not sure how well it can tie those two elements together. Do you guys get what I mean? Yeah. Because mm. to me, I guess what I'm conscious of right now, and maybe this is overthinking a little bit, but like Omokat specifically, like she's an illustrator and she's like a goddamn fantastic illustrator. That doesn't mean that you can write a story and just because you love games that are kind of based on this, I think sometimes it nearly, it tries to emulate those other games too much. Like one thing I really disliked about it and we've kind of talked about references and stuff on this podcast a lot the tv in the room you wake up in you walk up into it and you look in it and it says there's four boys walking on train tracks and that's what it says when you look in the tv in the first room in pokemon ah and yeah which is stand by me yeah and to me all a moment like that feels like is a game like jabbing you in the ribs really like ah we like the same things, and it's like, oh, uh, that nearly makes me feel like the game isn't confident enough in its own identity. And like, I like subtle references. Like, I, I, so, like there can, there's a subtlety to it, and there's a way to be to make it work. Like, um, we we're talking about Vampire Hunter. The amount of shit I've seen reference Vampire Hunter in some cool ways, like Ragio's dress in Kill the Kill is the same dress as the vampire wears, and it's like. That makes sense in or out of context because it's a creepy dress worn by a spooky lady, so it works. But with something like this, 
that line, its only purpose is to establish connection with something that already exists. And I just, I don't, I don't need that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I really don't think it serves anything. And I think the game is much stronger when it's like just doing its own thing. Because genuinely, like, the, whether it's the pixel art or the illustration, it looks fucking beautiful. Like, they're, the color palette of this game is all like teals and pinks and blues, and it looks so nice. I'm pretty undecided on it. Like, three hours in, I'm not sure how much I like or do not like this game. Um, I've enjoyed it, you know, I, I'm, I think it's cool, but I think, like, my final judgment, it's kind of going to take a bit. Yeah. I've not heard anything about this game. That's the I was thing. so surprised that this was the Amokat game, because I think for as long as we've been doing this podcast, like, you kind of, every now and then brought up, and that Amokat game will come out eventually, and I thought when it came out, there would be you know conversation and it's been out for nearly a month and i have you know we've gotten emails from people being like could you talk about this game no one's talking about this game i don't i don't feel anything strongly about it either way yeah um and i'm not really interested in playing it right now that's more to do with like the technical state of it is it yeah or or like are you are you maybe just not feeling it i'm I'm just not feeling it. like i'm like okay i think i'd rather play earthbound right now but, like, I do want to play this game, I, but I, I just want to play it when I'm in the right mood. You know when you meet someone and, you know, the way, especially when you're younger, the way you engage with them is you find out what hobbies you've in common. Mm. It feels like, I haven't played this, but it feels like this game is communicating to people as a fan rather communicating its own thing so far. In moments, definitely. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it uh, sounds like a teenager at a con that doesn't know anyone, but is kind of using yeah colloquial terms yeah like i don't want to be too negative on it like this is literally just everything i think about the game and like i have been enjoying it you know it's interesting because to me what it nearly in some of its other moments it nearly feels like do you remember like 2015 tumblr where there was like a huge like kind of crossover between blogs that were like very cute but then also would post really dark like shit and like kind of gore, gore shit as yeah. well. Yeah, syringes, blood, the uh, the works. This game kind of feels like that. And that's when it would have been written. Yeah. And like I think that's interesting. Like I think it's interesting for a game to take that aesthetic because that's not an aesthetic that like whatever you think about the aesthetic itself, it's not an aesthetic you see represented in games. And there's moments like that where I think it's I think it's kind of cool. Like I think there's genuine horror moments from the game where I was like, "Oh fuck, that's pretty that's spooky." But yeah, like I'm undecided. Like I'm not. I'm genuinely not coming at this game from a way where I'm like I'm trashing it and saying it's not good. I guess for me, I just need to see where it goes. And I like I'm gonna finish this thing by the next time we we talk about it. But yeah, it's got some cool stuff going on. I kind of have my concerns about it as well. But it's interesting. Like if people are curious about it, I'd say yeah, do check it out. Although. The, like like Brian was saying, the technical issues are a pain in the ass. Like, there's one thing that keeps happening to me. A random, I think it's like a dialogue box, keeps popping up on my screen every, like, every 30 seconds. And in a game where, like, this game is the atmosphere. It is the aesthetic. And when something comes along and just breaks it like that, that's where it really starts taking away from the experience. Music's real good. Brian. Yes. Why don't you tell us? About a game called Spyro the Dragon. 
I got the Spyro Reignited trilogy playing it on the Switch. Um, I had a PlayStation One <laughs> at one point, but all I wanted to play was platformers. I didn't want to do the whole JRPG thing. Couldn't read that much. Too 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 much too too many words for little Brian. All I wanted to do was run and jump, and unfortunately, the PlayStation One wasn't really the system for platformers. But there was this one dragon. And his name was Spyro. And the original Spyro the Dragon is my favorite PlayStation 1 game. Spyro the Dragon is the game mascot that I would least like to party with. I do like that you acknowledge that he is a game mascot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if that's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have no interest really in the second or third game. I kind of dipped into the second one and I was like, okay, uh, the, the the first one is a very impressive uh, remaster, remake. I don't know what it is. Um, it built from the ground up. But by, the same guys who did the Crash remakes, wasn't it? Yeah, they're called Toys for Bob. Yeah, it's yes. such a weird name. But like, but they did, the stuff they do is amazing. Yeah, they do fantastic work. And like, their character acting animation is as good as like a 3D feature studio like Illumination or Pixar or something like that. Like some of the stuff they do is so nice looking. Yeah, because it, like it's like okay, you're gonna master remaster Crash Bandicoot, and then it's like, oh fuck, okay, yeah, okay, all right. They, they 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 know what they're doing. Yep. They're, I I they're they are a confident studio, and I can't wait to see what they make next. Um, I'd love to see them do their own IP. It's interesting that like I feel like you're getting this like kind of subsection of game developers that are nearly specializing just in remakes now because like you have them, you have Blue Point, you yeah. have um, Vicarious Visions that did the Tony Hawk remasters. Ooh, did you hear about them? Yeah, bought by Blizzard. Yeah. Oh, they've bye. been folded in. Mm. See you guys. They're gonna be making skins forever now. <sighs> Rumor is that they're gonna be working on the Diablo two remake, but that seems weird as well because Diablo. Brian, tell us about Spyro the Dragon. So. Playing Spyro 20 years later as an old man. Um, it's a really interesting platformer. You know, you know the way most 3D platforms, I guess platformers in general, um, I don't know, I, I guess it's more 3D. It's about verticality. You're scaling upwards or scaling downwards. Sure. With Spyro, it's a horizontal 3D platformer. You're charging on this big, giant, wide field. Spyro's jump isn't very high, but his horizontal glide can take him across large gaps. So the stages in Spyro the Dragon are completely different to a stage you have in a Mario 64 or a Banjo-Kazooie. And so the games are super interesting from that perspective that it is a run-and-jump platformer, but you have to engage it in a very lateral way. I get you. Um, and I wa- wanted to 100% this game and... It's not a particularly hard game to beat. There's one or two challenges at the end where you have to do the flying missions. They're quite tricky. But it's one where it's like a checklist and it's very digestible. And I was able to beat the whole thing in about six hours to full completion. God, I love a good six-hour game. And that was extremely satisfying. And I got my nostalgia fill. And it's the thing where, like, the game looks like it does when you were a kid. Because when you're a kid, that's what you thought it looked like. Your imagination was doing the heavy lifting. Yeah, and so it's filled in the gaps. So now when I look at it, I'm like, that's what... And I, I went back and looked at the original one on YouTube. Oh, dear. Um, but, uh, and I, I, was, I was just... It's a really impressive remaster. Um, there's all these dragons you rescue from statues, and they're all individually designed, and they don't, they're only on screen for like three seconds. They're all male dragons, Neve. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. It's a real... It's a gay village. It's a gay island. It, it absolutely is. It's I mean, a that's, gay that, utopia. Now, now Spyro has one interesting character trait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. Spar is a trans man. <laughs> he lives there with his gay uncles. Could be, yeah. Yep. Did you think, Brian, I don't know if you've gone on to the second one. I did a tiny bit. They had put so much love and care to the first one. You can kind of see on the second and third one, it didn't get the same... It's definitely compromised. Yeah, it's not as much. Um, you think they thought people are going to play Spyro 1 and leave it? I think it was just different teams, maybe, because yeah, the, even the kind of side characters don't have the same level of like redesign as the mm. like sexy dragons do. Does, like, like The dragons you rescue, you get a three-second cutscene. Each one of them is individually modeled. And like there's like the artisan dragons, and one of them is a barista. And like the amount of work they went into that model, that's probably in some dude's portfolio, and he should be fucking proud of it but like that character mm-hmm. like they're modeled from behind as well you never see their backs and like some 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 of the dragons have like scaly wings some some of them have like crystal wings i think one or two have like feathery yeah because a yep. few of them are like griffins the, the amount of like detail and work that's gone into the npcs <laughs> we've spent all our budget on the dragons we can't do two and three <laughs> yeah um yeah like like two and three are definitely a lot of asset reuse um, and, uh, and the fucking music in Spyro is so good. Yeah. Um, it's one of the guys from The Police. I think his name's Stuart Townsend. What? Yeah, uh, he did the entire soundtrack. And there's like cool. there's a song for every level in this game, which is like that, 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 like, like today that doesn't happen. Mm. But the, the amount of work that went into this is fantastic. That's cool. Uh, so I'm very glad I got to experience Spyro again. Um, and it was, it, made my it, it, it made January a bit easier excellent you know it didn't make January a bit easier what Donkey Kong Country 3 because I played it in December sometimes the segues are awkward but you, you just got to take them you know it's a podcast it's a podcast <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, I played through the entirety of Donkey Kong Country 3 over the holidays that's Dixie or no Dixie's Double Trouble or Dixie's something. Double Trouble featuring Tiny Kong it's not Tiny Kitty ba- Kong Kitty Kong Tiny like, Kong is the is the muscly Kong. The himbo. Ti- no, no. Tiny Kong is Dixie's younger sister who's got pigtails and wears dungarees. She's okay. in DK64. Okay, who's the muscly guy from DK64? Chunky Kong. And you feel free to weigh in here at any point. I don't... I haven't played this game. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, I love Dixie Kong. Kitty Kong has no personality because he's a fucking baby. He just cries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Diddy Kong's... Dixie Kong is my favorite Kong. She's fucking brilliant. She has a little guitar... She has a sick guitar solo whenever she beats a level. What more do you want? Nothing, I guess. Yeah, nothing. This is a weird game because like Donkey Kong Country, really fucking cool. Donkey Kong Country 2, better and weirder and darker and amazing. Donkey Kong Country 3, I think maybe that's the point where like you can start to feel like the gears really grind on that series and them start to run out of ideas. Parts of that game are very flat. Yeah, and parts of it are like some some parts of it are like really inventive and has like a really cool gimmick and all this kind of stuff, and then some parts of it are like, here's another warehouse level. Yeah. Um, yeah, because because it's based in the northern hemisphere and it's meant to be like the continent of North America. Yeah, and it's weird. Like, there's a lot more like forests and kind of like lumberjacks. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're, they're, the whole culture of this world is based around a bunch of bears. Who like all have like their own little business and stuff like chopping trees and living in wood cabins. I enjoyed it. Like it was some decent platforming action, but like for a long, long time, I kind of wanted to go back to this and like see how it holds up to the other two. And I don't think it really does. Like no. I, 
it does not have that like same level of atmosphere the two had and it's the same dude doing the music isn't david wise no it's a different musician okay well that makes uh way more the sense music is uh, it's done by i can't remember her name but she voiced cameo in that game cameo on the like, xbox she, 360 she does a decent job of emulating that style but yeah the same life is 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 not there um like for me i think it's the first half of the game the music in those levels and those levels themselves aren't very inspiring yeah the second half of that game when you get to like the mountain levels mm. the music in those levels and the atmosphere of them is so good yeah i think for me like there's just several parts about the game where you can kind of feel them nearly like shrug their shoulders. Also, the boss battles aren't good. No, they're not. That snowman fucking sucks. There's this, this, this a mechanic in every level where it's this Kremlin and he has like a shield and a helmet. Coin. Coin. Coin with a K. Coin with a K. And he, um, he has this gimmick where no matter where you go on him, he points his shield towards you. So if you're above him, he turns into a... You can, like, jump on a shield and he turns into a platform. If, you, if you're if you to his left, you can't hit him with a projectile from there. And, like, it's impossible to so kill you, him. So you got to throw the barrel and have it you You've got to bounce a barrel off a wall behind him and make it hit him from behind. And for a while, they come up with a lot of, like, really fun, inventive, like scenarios for that where you have to kind of figure out what way you can hit him and distract him in different ways but towards the end of the game they kind of just start dumping him at the end of the level and just being like fuck it i don't know he's in front of a wall do it again you gotta find him yeah and that stuff gets like really kind of uncreative all this said i had a pretty good time with it like those games are fun and like they're still kind of beautiful like they made these games by like taking like jpegs of 3d images and animating them traditionally and and it would take 24 hours to render each frame yeah and then they'd have to compress it down but i still think they have a cool look you know they look amazing yeah and uh, so it was fun neve oh no sorry first i have a question how many of these games did they make three oh no. there's just only three hang, hang on. okay there are three donkey kong country games mm-hmm. donkey kong is only playable in the first one yep okay and <laughs> get that shit out of the way there are three Donkey Kong Land games. Okay. But Donkey Kong Country is a very iconic game. It is it is on the Super Nintendo. It was remade for the Game Boy Color. Then it was remade again for the Game Boy Advance. And all three Donkey Kong Countries were remade for the Game Boy Advance. And the third Game Boy... Uh, and so the third version of Donkey Kong Country on the Game Boy Advance has an entirely new soundtrack by David. Oh. It's so fucking weird. Is it a good soundtrack? It's much better. Okay. Neve, what other Donkey Kong trivia that would you look? answered my question because I'm afraid. Some, I have I'm, some no, theories. I'm afraid to I, ask. I have some theories about Funky Kong. If you'd uh, like to. Cranky Kong is also canonically dead. She's a ghost now. Yeah. Rest in peace. She wasn't cranky either. She's a little. Oh, sorry, not cranky. Wrinkly Kong. I'm yeah. so sorry. I'm. <laughs> She wasn't cranky. She was mm. just wrinkly. Mm-hmm. Wrinkly Kong. Um, she she ran a school in Donkey Kong Country too. And I still she, can't believe she fucking died. An and, educator. And it, it, it's really cool in Donkey Kong Country Three. She's in a cave and she has an N sixty four. Yeah. What's that about? What's I know, that? but that's how I want to retire. Except with a better console. PS two. Wait, yeah. <laughs> You're really fucking pushing me this podcast, Neva. Swear to God. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's great. Um, I played the Control DLC AWE. That's great, Neve, but we have another like 20 minutes of Donkey Kong material to get through. <laughs> this is uh, the second part of the DLC. Yeah, this is the second one. The first one was Foundation, and this is the second one. I really liked Foundation. I thought it was really cool. I thought this one was fine. Um, 
with foundation you got a whole new area which was the foundation of the oldest house which was all this cave system which had a very unique look all this red sand and giant monoliths with awe you're kind of back in the office spaces but the the thing with this one is the darkness is taking over so all the lights are out so it's just the offices but they're pitch black ain't it always and you have to get a light and shine it on spots of dark goo this burn like away the goo yes it is <laughs> it is exactly like alan wake and when you burn away the alan wake goo then you can get through a door you know so our hero jesse has to go and clear out the dark goo and find out what is happening there's a new boss fight that she, a boss she has to fight called hartman who was you know doing experiments down That's, there uh, you're thinking of death stranding neve <laughs> It's actually called Hartman. Yeah, it's called oh, Hartman. But 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 they they had plenty of time to not call him Hartman. <laughs> yep. Well, it's not spelled no. like you know Hartman. He has to be Hartman. <laughs> um, it's just a second name, and that's just who he is. What it's is cool it? Though. Is it like a? Is it like a giant heart with legs? Because that makes sense. No, sadly, but it does look. You know the movie The Ritual. Mm-hmm. And the big kind of monster at the end where it's like this tall kind of deer thing. Yeah, yeah. This this is like, imagine a man, but his legs are stretched really long and then his back is broken. And then out of his back, his rib cage has come burst through and it looks like deer antlers. Cool. It's a pretty cool design. He's pretty sick looking and he can fight you in the darkness and the darkness zaps your, your, your stamina, which is directly connected to your levitate ability and all of those. So you have to try and light rooms to help you fight him. Mm. Um, it's around four hours long and it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. And the Alan Wake tie-in stuff, it's it's loose, but also it's there. Like Alan Wake is there. You know, it's him typing wow. away on his little typewriter. Is, is it, so, so, so does AEW stand for Alan Wake edition or something? No, it's like, oh, it's the name it's of the altered, oh, um, yeah. the altered items or something. Oh, AWE. Yeah, it's, it stands for something else, but also Alan Wake, you know. So Alan is typing away on his little computer and he's just like... Still going. Yeah, he's just like his typewriter and he's just like, you know, I'm, I'm scared. There's something blah happening to me or whatever. There is an alternate version of Alan who is fighting Alan. And shadow Alan, Alan. Yeah, there's a shadow Alan and Alan is looking for help in Jesse. Just like Naruto versus Shadow Naruto. <laughs> so... Um, there's, you know, it's like control is very based around its collectibles. There's a lot of reading that connects it all together. You find parts of Alan's scripts. Um, he's not a very good writer, but that's not really the point of Alan Wake. <laughs> he's a Stephen King wannabe. Yeah, he's a poor man, Stephen King. Yeah. Um, so they tie him in. There's a whole new model, you know, for Alan Wake there. So Alan Wake 2 is either going to happen or they're going to remaster Alan Wake. Or Control 2 will feature more Alan but Alan is coming back into the Remedy world, whether we want him to Have be Remedy there or not. Have Remedy ever done a sequel? They did uh, American Nightmares. They did American Nightmare. Nightmares for was Alan. That, was that like a sequel though? Not really. It was, it was kind of a little... an reuse minigame. Yeah, it was a kind of side story, but honestly the most fun of it was like it had kind of a horde mode that I used to play a lot. Um, I think, did, did that only get, did that get something else besides American Nightmare? I don't, not from my memory. I know, I know Alan Wake got two, um, got two, or maybe it was two and a half like DLC chapters because because yeah. you know the way the, 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 
the, the core I, I game heard, just ends. I yeah. heard some of the coolest things that did was in one of the DLC chapters. I can imagine. Like, American Nightmare's cool. There's a lot of, like, more video footage in it and stuff. Like, they play around with it. And, like, I think that whole experience is a good experience. You can play it all in Game Pass. So, if you if anyone wants to play Alan Wake, it's there. Uh, they tie it in well enough. But, honestly, if, it, if Alan wasn't there and it was just the darkness and finding Heartman, you wouldn't miss him. Like, he's not, like pushing this narrative mm. if you're not reading the collect- collectibles it's like it's just jesse finding another secret in the oldest house so you don't really need alan to be there but he is there and it kind of ends and you find a fucked up photo of alan taken by his wife who's just reporting that she's now afraid of alan and she thinks at nighttime it's not him anymore and she's not sleeping anymore because she thinks evil alan is going to come and get her shit okay <laughs> so like they're building to something i don't know what form that something will take in the future but they have now connected the worlds of control and alan wake uh through this dlc it took me a little while to play this dlc because i was a little pissed about what they did with the dlc definitive edition stuff mm. so if you don't remember control released uh, a definitive edition where it was control base game and the two dlcs and it also contains a PS5 upgrade. But if you'd bought the base game of Control and the two DLCs, you didn't get the upgrade to PS5. Yeah. To get it, you had to buy the Definitive Edition again. So I was kind of like, oh, so annoyed by that because I bought it day one. I bought I, the that, collect. That's fair. Like, yeah, yeah, I bought the seasons pass. People had it's bought the collector's It's not fair to people editions. who are loyal. No. But it's just, it's just weird. It's like, I have these two things and you're asking me to rebuy them to get the upgrade. Like, even if you wanted to charge me an upgrade fee, I'd feel, be- feel better about that yeah. than mm-hmm. having to buy the thing I own a second time to play it. And it's like, who PS5. is that for? Like, the, the person who isn't interested in, Alan, in in Control enough to not buy those things originally? Like, yeah. who will buy that full price when that's... <laughs> Exactly. And the weird thing is that came out at the end of August. That has now since then gone to Game Pass and gone on sale multiple times, but they still won't do the upgrade path. And this month for February, well, next month for February, it's coming to PlayStation Plus, the definitive edition. So if you've never played Control and you've never, or you've never played the DLC of Control, now's the time you can do it and you'll get the PS5 upgrade as well. So that's really great, but it kind of says to me the best way you could have ever played Control because that game didn't play well on base consoles and well, took yeah. a patch to play pretty okay on PlayStation Pro. The best way to play Control is if you never bought it. <laughs> and, you, well, and you got it for free. That's a real one-hand clapping kind of sentence. Yeah, like, <laughs> like if, if, if you just waited and yeah, didn't do anything. You would have got it for free literally f- like three months, like four months after they released it, the Definitive Edition. Mm. So this went on sale at even at Christmas. I think if you even pick this up on sale, you're like, what the fuck? And I just thought it was a weird decision for them to not maybe honor the people who were there day one and bought their collector's editions, but then all of a sudden it's just extremely easy to play this. The collector's edition thing especially. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just kind of a weird thing because like, you know, Remedy, you know, they, they're making AAA games, but they kind of have a smaller audience that you probably shouldn't be you know you should probably do well by their audience. They're, they're a Finnish studio, they make very personal games, and there's... They yeah I know they're like they 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 are people who make games. It's not a boardroom of anonymous. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
And that's the exact reason why you should play Control if you haven't. It is now on Game Pass. It is now on PS Plus with all the DLC and everything. It is probably one of the more unique experiences of the last generation. Yeah, and like, I'm not a big fan of Control or that studio, but like, they're doing their own thing. Yeah. And like, they are interesting and they're worth Mm -hmm. checking out. I'm a big fan of it, but this really, you know, I didn't really like this aspect of it. Uh, but yeah, people should play it. The first, fa- um, the Foundation DLC, I really liked it a lot. Another thing that I didn't love about the AWE DLC, and I don't know if this may have been a COVID thing or whatever, they didn't have any more lines with Emily, who's kind of a fan favorite character. Just no extra dialogue. There was extra dialogue with Langdon, but it wasn't face to face with his character model. It was over you know, a, a radio. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe this feels like it could have been bigger. Maybe it never was meant to be bigger, but this felt way more like asset reuse than Foundation did. Foundation felt like like it, a very special big DLC mm. pack. And this feels, not that it's bad, it is quite good, Um, but it feels smaller. Yeah, like, yeah. it feels like an afterthought. It's just not, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't say go out and buy the season pass for this, you know, I'm mm-hmm. kind of like, it's cool that it's free and you can play this now. Um, but with Foundation, I would have been like, yeah, go buy this separately. Mm. But um, I enjoyed it. It's always fun to go back to the world of Control. And I guess that's it. Like, it's over. I might replay it when I finally can get a PlayStation 5 just to see the ray tracing and see that world look as nice as it could That'd look. be fucking cool, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Control. Good. Guys, I've been playing through Earthbound. Whoa. You're playing that side by side with Omori. Um, I started playing Omori and then I was like, I had a playthrough of Earthbound going. And I was like, you know what? I need to go back and finish Earthbounds. Yeah. So both of you had that feeling from playing Omori? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Earthbound is a weird game to go back to. Um, I haven't played this game in 20 years. And I started playing it last year and kind of played a bit of it, but played the vast, vast majority of the game in the last couple of weeks. When's the last time you played this, Brian? Uh, I played, I have a Game Boy Advance copy of it that's translated uh, because it was Mother 1 and 2 were released in Japan. Mm. So I played it that way. And and when was that? Uh, About six years ago now. This, I found this game so strange to go back to because like this is like mechanically a really typical RPG game it's like you have a party they level up you get them equipment and you fight monsters and turn based battles but it's really weird looking now at everything it did differently to other games at the time because like it does have like the kind of uh, kind of weird fantasy suburban setting but the like abstract parts about the game, like the parts where it gets really weird were so much more than I remember them. Like this game, it, it it just delves into complete nonsense a lot of the time. And a lot of it's designed in a way to like specifically irritate the player. Like there's this one kind of maze you go through and it's like, imagine like just forking paths leading to forking paths leading to forking paths and at the end of each path is a monkey that gives you an item but to get that item you need to give it an item which is held by one of the other monkeys and i was like oh my god this is so irritating this is such a waste of time and it takes you like 30 minutes to get through that maze and then when you do after making your way through the entire maze 
the last thing you, the last like obstacle is a pencil, a giant lead pencil, which you met earlier in the game and yes. found a one-time use item where you just get this pencil eraser item, that's the joke, to erase that pencil. So then you know now that you need that item, so you have to go back out through the entire maze again, get that item and go back in, and it's purely there to fuck with you. I'm pretty sure that's that's why they packed in the walkthrough with the game. Yeah, it's, it's like an insane game for crazy people. And like, you... You kind of have to respect it a little bit because, like, it, it is like you just feel the developer constantly jabbing you in some weird ways. And sometimes it just feels like weirdly mean spirited. But it is interesting because I feel like with that game, in a lot of ways, I guess it kind of feels like a lot of the stuff I was talking about Amori leading to, where it's like this very quirky, light experience that on the edges of it, you have these characters talking about like the nature of reality and their subconscious and all this weird fucking stuff but it'll like it can just happen from like a random npc a random npc in like this sunny lovely town will just tell you about like their existential horror that their their, their life just isn't going anywhere and like it's it's interesting it's not i don't think it's aged very well in a lot of ways because like it is such a frustrating game and like there's points where like some dungeons are really like nicely structured and they have an interesting layout and a really fun little gimmick and then some dungeons are you crawling through a really difficult cave for you know an hour and you're running out of health items and yeah you're, you're just chipping away at it yeah and you die and you get sent back to the star and you have to do it all again stuff like that is a pain but yeah it's still kind of great in its old way and like when you look at like what it was doing differently to Dragon Quest, to Final Fantasy, to Breath of Fire, to all those old RPGs, man, yeah, like it's not surprising it kind of had the effect on games it did and it's not surprising that it resulted in so many weird fan creations because like in a lot of ways there's still nothing really like it and I, I really appreciate it for that. It... It's, it's fucking weird, but it is cool. Neve. Yes. Is Cyberpunk 2077 cool still? Uh, <laughs> Good game. So I finished Cyberpunk. My final save was 64 hours. Wow. That's a good number. Um, I started getting a bit nervous around the 40 hour mark, 45 hour mark, because I kept getting a constant glitch where my pants would just glitch out. So just you'd see spiking, jutting artifacts in front of your face. Your and I was pants like, specifically. My pants. And I was like <laughs> looking around being like, what is this? And I looked down and my legs, where my legs would be, is now a jumble of just artifacting. And this kept happening after I fell in the water and got wet. And ever since I fell in the water and just like... So Neve, you're not like getting wet over and over. You nope. fell in the water <laughs> once, got wet, and directly I got after the water you, you that time. You got your bottom wet, and the game didn't know. My pants the game's kept like, glitching. I can't handle this. You're and just dripping. It would just constantly do it. And the only way I could make it stop was to get on my motorbike and then get off, and it would stop for maybe 20 minutes and then start. So I'm like, I think this game is really breaking because it feels like that game where the bigger your save gets and the more shit you amass, like more clothes you amass, more guns you amass, just the more memory 
it's taking up. It doesn't get optimized along the way. It feels like you're stretching the tape that is holding it's like it buckaroo. together. Yeah, like <laughs> it like it sounds like it's doing kind of what Earthbound was doing, but by accident. <laughs> like it's just a game spinning out of control. Exactly. So I was like, oh my god, I'm not going to be able to finish this because I'm going to break it because I own too many t-shirts now <laughs> and like I own too many pants and they're just glitching and I I need to finish it. So I started like mainlining it and that's when I started getting so, like like a lot of people will tell you and you know without the glitches there's a decent game under there. There's a decent story under there but there's not a decent video game. Okay. You know. <laughs> oh dear. So it's not just the graphical glitches that is wrong with this. This game doesn't know how to deal with the stuff it gives you. So you're in a cyberpunk world and you can get cybernetics. One of the kind of first cybernetics you can get for your legs, as you would imagine, is a jump. So you have a natural jump, then a jump you can get is a double jump. And the jump I picked is you hold X down and it lets you jump higher. So that jump was pretty handy. It got me up to find kind of collectibles and kind of in and out of area. It also broke the game in a way I wasn't expecting. So I go on a mission with this character called River. We are basically doing a true detective style thing. He is a detective and we're basically hunting down a kind of weirdo pedophile who is kidnapping children. No, actually, they're not children. They're kind of teenagers. Anyway, that's not important. We have to go to a horrible farm to find these missing boys. River says the only way we can get into this farmyard is to get on top of the roof. I have my jumping legs. I jump onto the roof. And River gets up as well. So I figure, I guess this is working. There's a hole in the roof and I go down. And this is where all the teenagers are kept plugged into these machines. Because this guy is just pumping them with weird hormones or whatever the fuck. All the kids who are meant to be lying down on these tables are standing upright, embedded into the tables. And it is the spookiest shit I've ever seen. And I was like, is this normal? Are they meant to be doing this? No dialogue triggers, nothing happens. I find River's nephew, who you're looking for, and I'm like, River, here he is. He's, he's awake, I guess. And nothing triggers with River. River. River's just walking around. We're just walking around. Nothing happens. I guess I haven't triggered something. So I jump back out the hole and I get off the roof. There's a ladder to the right. So I climb up the ladder instead. And once you get to the top of the ladder, River's just like, oh, a ladder. We'll get Whoa, in this way. Okay. Then we go down into the room. All the boys, instead of standing up embedded in the things, are now lying down. And That's you didn't play the open world game correctly. <laughs> and River's like, "This is sick. What the fuck?" And the story plays out, and it works perfectly. Oh my god! So the first thing you can get for your cybernetic legs is a jump. You use the jump to bypass some shit. The game cannot take it. This happened it's, it's multiple so times. Crazy to me that like state like and like look i don't know a lot about like game dev or game game coding or anything but it's crazy to me that why would you tie the event trigger to the player like doing this specific task like why why not just have it like that i yeah, think if once you have you get systems to the roof, in your game you should yeah. probably check the plumbing of the system yeah but that's it it seems like a systems driven game like something like a deus ex or a prey it is not it has an illusion of it it really and does it's just all like held to be- head held together with cardboard and you have yeah. to play in a linear way and if exactly. you try and push it in any direction that suits your build it but doesn't here's another thing that happens later on you and river go up to a water tower to flirt which is another thing that i'll get into 
Um, and he goes to give you a boost over a closed gate. I don't want River to touch me because I'm in a relationship with Judy. <laughs> so I use my legs to jump over the fence. And River goes, nice jump. So the game acknowledged my jumping legs in that moment. But in the other moment where I used it to bypass a find another way around part of the game mission, it, it fucking broke. This happened with another mission as well, where I jumped up and found a thing I was meant to find too early and it locked me out of the mission to a point that I had to restart and go back and just not use the mechanics I had upgraded myself with easily in the game to actually do that mission. So that's like a big issue with it is it gives you tools that will break this game. (laughs) It's really interesting to see where they put the work in during those awful crunch hours and where they didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's, um, this game is not, it's not finished. And it is like, t- like, to my mind, like two years minimum not finished. Holy shit. <laughs> like, this isn't like a six month um, fix, which we'll get to when we get into the news. So like on a scale of like one to 10 in terms of like the most broken game you've ever played, where would this lie on that scale? This it's it's the most broken the, the only thing i compare it to is andromeda which was pretty broken as well i thought i really didn't like andromeda as well because on top of it being broken i thought the story was just bad i like the characters but the story and the sci-fi of that world mm. was shitty the best thing you can say about cyberpunk is it has good characters and it has emotional and impactful characters and it has a compelling main narrative it you like it, the game is threatening to break at any second, and I think these moments are compromised by how broken it is. The idea of you rushing to complete the game because you had amassed too many items, and the game world was spinning wildly out of control is—it's kind of fascinating to me. Oh, it's mad! Like I was anytime I was driving because driving is when the most stuff break. I was like, please don't break, please don't break, please oh don't break, God. while I was getting to a marker. At some point, does that become the game? It does. And like it's my like walking on lava. Yeah. My final mission glitched three times and it made that like it, it took the impact out of it. I, by the end of it, I was like, fuck this fucking game. You There's know? no momentum. It, yeah. It, it ruined it. It sucked the air out of the room of mm. like a big moment. It was just like, oh, cool. Yeah. It's glitched again. Um, there's five endings you can get. I said before, you can fa- finish this game in 20 hours. You can, but you'll only be able to unlock two endings. The other two endings are unlocked through doing kind of side missions for other characters. One of them being Pan Am and the other is Johnny's side quest himself. So I went with the Pan Am ending because I played a nomad and she was a nomad. That plays out so weirdly because I was talking about this with the relationship stuff. They don't change the relationship dialogue with Pan Am if you play as a female V. Like it feels romantic and it feels like you're flirting until she's like, whoa, not into that. But then if you pick the Pan Am ending, which I picked because we were friends and it was cool and I had started a relationship with Judy, at the end of it, you're just with Pan Am in this really romantic setting that made it seem like I had just cheated on Judy (laughs) and me and Pan Am were just together at the end and I was like, okay. Poor Judy. The game is so glitched you committed infidelity. Yeah, (laughs) unknowingly. Um, so, like, I guess, like, there isn't really a lot to say that I haven't said in the last episode about, Mm. like, how broken it is. The other stuff that is broken with is, like, the combat AI is just a mess. Like, it's just, it's a joke. Um, 
sometimes they just stand there and you can just shoot them uh, and hack them it's the the police spawn behind you the crafting system is broken and did they release their january update <sighs> they did and that hot fix broke another thing it broke a main mission quest that they now have given you a workaround to not lock you out of completing the game so the last thing i will say about it is i have spoken about um positively about the story and do i think anyone should buy this and the answer is just just no like i think this is a true testament to i guess crunch development but also hype culture over hype just definitely feels like we've hit a critical mass with that yeah, stuff you just know? Like, like lying things kind of have to go backwards from here because there's no forwards i don't think that like like the only way you should play this game or want to play this game in my mind is if you just have a morbid curiosity because you play a lot of games and you want to see something broken. Like that's that's why I played it. Like and It's why I watch bad movies. Yeah, you know, it's that's what I got out of it. Mm. I also think it's like like C D Project Red has just burnt so much goodwill and so much love they do had as a studio. Do you think there's a way they come back from this? Absolutely. I think gamers have extremely short memories. And I think once this is patched up, you still see people in comments being like, hey, without the bugs, it's a pretty good game. <laughs> it's not. Like, it's broken. It's not a good game without the bugs. Mm. Without the bugs, it's a broken, shallow game. It's a huge open world with nothing to do or find in it. But yeah, good characters, I guess. But that's not a game. Like, you know, it's... Yeah. It's not a 10 out of 10 game without the bugs. I guess what I wanted to say is like, I also don't feel it's just CD Projekt Red. I feel like the pre-release hype uh, from influencers, from games media, from all of those people also have a hand to play in this stuff as well. Like this thing was built into this monster and it should have never came out in the form it is. Yeah, I mean, like the influencer thing is like, it's nearly a different discussion that I feel like went off the rails so, so long ago. Like, I, I'd never take any sponsorship from any piece of media ever. Like, that to me would... It's just it's just a fucked up line you can't cross if your job is recommending shit to people. Mm -hmm. But I, it kind of feels like the online scene sort of just flew past that without barely a discussion. Yeah, I feel like influencers can be bought with a secret lab branded chair. And I feel like... Um, People literally tried to sponsor me with a lab branded chair once. Yeah. And then like the other thing is I feel reviewers get stymied by like horrible harassment if they try and review something in a genuine way. Like, so they're going to try and say the nicest mean thing about it. Even then, like a 7 out of 10 got a, um, like a reviewer crazy harassment for this broken fucking game mm -hmm. before anyone had ever played it. Like that's, for like how sake. do you try and write like a review for a hyped up game I of this magnitude? I can't imagine what it's, right, what it's like playing a game like Cyberpunk that no one else has played and being like, wow, this is fucking broken. And then thousands of people who have not played the game and cannot play the game telling you you're wrong it's just crazy to me and it's like how like people will like be like oh you fucking ign's ratings or some shit it's just like you don't let them <laughs> rate things properly you dogpile people who give things low ratings you but like there's like, no win because like when whenever like even when like i will write like a negative video about a series or a game or something the response is always like you played it wrong or you watched it wrong and it's like or maybe i just didn't fucking like it you didn't get it john i, I didn't <laughs> it's just like if you read a review and you don't agree with it go read another review 
read one until you agree with it or maybe go okay maybe i have a lot way more stock in this thing that hasn't gone out and maybe i should take these criticisms on board yeah maybe don't tie your identity to fictional media properties i think that's a really good place to start I don't know. Cyberpunk. So like 9 out of 10? Uh, 10 out of 10, obviously. Nice, okay. Best game I've made. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just have one quick correction to make. I said Stuart Townsend did the music for Spire to Dragon. It's Stuart Copeland. Stuart Tow- Townsend is an Irish actor. I get the names mixed up. Henry Townsend, uh, Silent Hill. Hmm. There you go. Quick time events. been like two hours let's make these okay quick. let's let's okay. make these real fucking let quick. me go through um the cyberpunk stuff really quick go for it uh cyberpunk released a weak and bad apology this was terrible brilliant <laughs> so <laughs> like, just, uh, like it's the worst kind of apology where it's like oh shucks guys we just we didn't notice our t our, our qa team were just so fucking stupid they could and it's like fuck you asshole Mm -hmm. gee whiz it was such a bad um like it really picked up on a lot of like the most like overzealous fans of this game being like old gen consoles you thought that was gonna run a game of this magnitude you're an idiot and they really pushed that narrative of like look we're really proud of it on pc and it's a great game on pc it's not um it's a better looking game and more stable i guess but that it's not just the glitches and that this 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 apology just basically ignored everything ignored cut content ignored broken ai ignored like they weren't going to mention crunch anyway but ignored that anyway ignored all that shit and then in the end put it all on qa and we're just kind of like qa didn't catch this stuff which was just a super shitty, shitty thing to do because of course they caught that stuff. And if they didn't tell you, it's because you met a culture where they couldn't. Uh, but I think more than likely is they did tell you and you didn't care because you needed to get this game out. Oh, uh, 100%. Was just, yeah, it was just ignored. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing. Go for Sorry. It. Another thing that I found egregious about this is they threw up a roadmap for their free DLC, which will be coming in the second part of this year. Cool. <laughs> so the game's going to be perfect by then. No problems. The trick is to never buy a game. Just like, <laughs> like why would you put dates on things, you crazy people? This is so broken. Just say we'll be working on fixing it. You don't throw a roadmap up saying you'll get your two free DLCs this year. Why are games like this? Uh, Bethesda announces Indiana Jones game. Cool. Who's that for? But dads, us. All, all those Indiana Jones I remember Jones there was a PC Indiana Jones game and that whip cracked real good. Um, okay, yeah, i put this one here. Have you guys seen the King of Fighters character trailers? No. No. It looks like they're making a fake game. So this is this is SNK's new game. This is King of Fighters 15, the hotly anticipated new King of Fighters game. And they've released two character trailers so far. Uh, both characters I do not like. But what they're doing is they're not showing it as like a fighting game, really. They'll like cut to a character doing a special move and then cut to them doing another special move and then another special move, but not showing any like walking or blocking or gameplay or anything. And they haven't done a gameplay reveal for this. We don't know what this game looks like in motion. So it nearly looks like a fake fighting game. Oh dear. It sounds like they just have like, like the flavor animations done. 
But then at this stage, why announce it and why show the yeah. show? Yeah, because like I'm thinking about like the Guilty Gear announcements or Street oh Fighter or Smash. If you play this trailer next to the Guilty Gear trailers, it's it's just the fucking craziest thing. But like they introduce the character and you get like uncut footage of them comboing the opponent yeah. and you like, get a, 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 a like I know I know I know you, don't get, you guys don't care about King of Fighters you should look at these trailers just to be like what is happening because the editing is so str- anyway I hope that game turns out good um Konami is going through an internal restructure is definitely not shutting down their video game division nothing to worry it's great about that Konami are gonna just keep up the fucking stellar record that they've been doing for the last couple of years uh the sooner we get, the sooner we get Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Survive Two, the better. Because the sooner we get Metal Gear Survive Two, we get Metal Gear Survive Three, baby. Don't forget the next Silent Hill. Oh, any day now. And Goemon, he's he's gonna be back. Goemon's any... back, guys. Yeah. Okay, this is the only piece of news I really actually took. Yeah, about. like the 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 big the big old bit we, of news. We gotta talk about the big lady. Opinions. Resident Evil Eight. Resident Evil Eight. So Resident Evil Capcom had their. Um, showcase for Resident Evil Village. They showed a new cinematic trailer and everyone fell in love with a certain certain woman. I think I think they maybe slided like the beautiful slider a little too far to the right. I mean, she looks fucking brilliant. She does. I think like as an idea for an enemy that's going to grab people's attention, she's fucking incredible. Like holy shit. And her three spooky daughters. So here's the part where I worry that maybe it's not going to be that scary. Because it's like, we're going to take you to this castle and a bunch of beautiful goth women are going to beat the shit out of you. And it's like, oh oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Well, that's why they have the weird goblin men down in the basement and also the father Gascoigne. Oh yeah, yeah, the the fucking dude with the sunglasses. Yeah. Oh yeah. What the? F- yeah, he's got. I mean, like <laughs> they're, do they're, boom they're going for something here, and it, lo- it looks fun as hell. Yeah, it does. I was a little bummed out for uh, for because of Mia. So in all of Resident She's Evil Ethan's Seven, wife, you, yeah, you spend your time looking for Mia, and you find Mia, and a lot of your boss fights are against Mia, and then at the end you get to play as her, and she's like, you know capable and part of the story and has a gun and is an actually interesting and cool character more so than Ethan don't give me that look okay, uh, who gives a shit about me, Ethan me, like point zero 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 one is more than zero I know but she was at least the one and he was the zero in this trailer she was dressed as if she was 80 years old and dying like she was wearing a completely beige outfit like a beige cardigan and I was like oh no they've dressed her as a sick anime mom she's even the hair pushed over one shoulder and I was like I wonder why that is and it's because she's pregnant. And as we all know in video games, when a woman gets pregnant, um, they either die or they uh, their personality is sucked through the, the, fetus, the umbilical cord uh, is, into is, the fetus. It's nourishing everything. Yeah, and they, they just wither away or, or demon baby. and stop those existing. Those are the three options. Or demon baby. I, it's all of those for yeah. this. Cause... So I thought it was a little disappointing that the premise of this seems to be after you spend all this time saving Mia and Mia's back, they just kill Mia off and now Ethan is going to save his baby daughter. He's getting his revenge for his wife's death. Is she definitely dead? Yeah, Chris shoots her twice in the first trailer that they showed. I mean, she went through a lot in in 7 and she survived. (laughs) But um, 
Yeah, thanks, that, thanks Chris. yeah that that's a bit that's yeah. a bit shitty i just think it's like a really unceremonious way to get rid of her i also think like like ethan's such a black character why not make it mia going yeah, after I, I, her daughter I, I did when i heard that ethan was coming back i was like oh he doesn't God, even have a, he doesn't even have a why? face but that's that's what i think the reason for ethan is he's meant to be like a self-insert but like he's a self-insert who had a wife and a baby like whose think, self-insert think, like, is Le- that leon yeah. in two was a really fun self-insert who still had his own charisma and his own character you know like, oh totally i think yeah. like maybe they'll make ethan more interesting but i honestly don't think they will I, they could yeah they, like... they could but that that was a little bit disappointing to me uh, and i also think video games are really bad at doing baby stuff specifically just really bad at it especially in horror video they games. want that magic babies magic baby blood yeah i mean there is an art to doing horrifying baby material there is an art and it's very easy to get wrong and i don't know if resident evil have the chops um i'm just saying what if like halfway through this game you wake up and the giant tall woman's just sitting there and she's like oh ethan you're awake but you can see this like thing on like coming up like from the top of your field of view and you look in a mirror and you're wearing a giant baby bonnet and then you look around and all the other characters all the other protagonists from all the other resident evils are all wearing giant baby bonnets because she's trapped them all in this weird nursery John, you cannot give out to us for making these fucking jokes about you and your baby fetish if you're going to make them yourself. Sometimes if the world treats you as a monster, you must become (laughs) a monster. Oh, I guess there is a right way to do weird baby shit in in a horror game. Capcom, I'm available. You want you want to fucking you want to get some articles to some headlines going. Resident Evil 9 Montessori of Terror. (laughs) Gotta 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 burp the baby. Uh, otherwise, for the new new. This the, like the showcase looked cool. Like this this I'm game excited. looks awesome. The really, mansion really looks gorgeous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I love the location. Um, and it's got a multiplayer as well. Yeah, I have a code for the be- uh, the beta that's starting tomorrow for Resident Evil Reverse. It was literally a 40 second trailer that they showed, where it was all the characters from the the engine that they're using now so it's like Mm -hmm. seven remake two and remake three but it was really weird because it's chris from seven not eight chris with all the characters from two and three and they're basically running around this world as if it's like i don't know if it's so it's so it's pvp but i don't know it's team versus team or just like a battle royale kind of thing it's kind of like mercenaries where it's just this kind of non-canon fantasy football kind of thing i don't even know if it's mercenaries because mercenaries you can play offline on your own because it's you versus in the footage they showed it's like people shooting people yeah it's pvp like so chris and claire were shooting each other weird so it looks weird I haven't seen him, but he hasn't been in these games, so there's no model. Something about it, like, specifically the PvP moments, looked real, like, multiplayer fan hack to me. Yeah, it really looked like like, you know, You know, Brian, like, the kind of Resident Evil, like, doing that to each other. It feels like I'm holding the a gun and walking back and forth. Animation is sped up, and also a lot of people pointed out on Twitter they have shrunken the characters down in the environments. So put the, when they stand next oh, to make those weird. narrow environments. Do you know what? It wouldn't. It, it, it wouldn't be Resident Evil without giant furniture. It wouldn't. That's all over Resident Evil Six. It's so weird. It's giant chairs everywhere. But well, now keep, it makes sense. But what, just shrink the props as well guys <laughs> shrink them too so like they they put out beta, beta codes and like i'm gonna try it and the next time we talk we can 
I'll, I'll let you guys know what it is, but it seems like a weird one to bundle in with eight after how the resistance being bundled, bundled in with three kind of went, which wasn't that great. And resistance had a lot of... You had a good time with resistance though, didn't you? I, I liked resistance, but it didn't have its own servers. It was it was impossible to get a game, okay. and you know it had a lot of lovely. It like, just maps. sort of ran its course over spring last year. Yeah, it it died in six months, like pretty much. Like it's yeah. still going on PC, but even there, it's hard to get games. So I, it seems like a weird one, but um, I guess we'll see what happens with it. Yeah. Okay. Guys, right at the end of the news section, um, I feel like I have a little apology to make for something I said on a podcast before, but basically, in our game of the year, for Biggest Shit Show, we had a section about the guy who had the Spider-Man line, the all the swagger of a black American teenager or something like that. Um, in the time since, I, uh, someone on the Discord mentioned to me that the guy who wrote that article was black which was something I was completely unaware of before that. No one, like, got mad at me for this, and no one came after me for this, but, like, this wasn't Brian and Neve's decision to put it on the on the biggest shit show. It was me, and I don't think they knew a whole lot about it. I'm kind of fine with, like, pulling people up, like, when they say something I'd consider kind of cringy, and especially in a context like that. But I guess, like, I don't feel good about telling black people how to talk about black people. And I kind of felt like this was just important to bring up here. So, like, you know, I apologize about that. And I think that's the kind of thing where, like, I kind of have to check my own biases with stuff like that. Because it never occurred to me that the dude who wrote that line, you know, would be a black guy. So, yeah, I just wanted to get that out there. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I hate mistakes. to do this. That makes, okay. <laughs> they announced a Tomb Raider anime and a Tomb Raider new oh. uh, second oh, movie. Yeah, 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 for Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw that just before. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to put it on the docket. That's, okay. That's totally fine. Oh, <laughs> there's going to be a Netflix a Tomb Raider fu- this anime. This is a fucking episode. <laughs> Look. This is what John gets. Yeah. Very... I don't know if that's going to be good. Like, forever, the story they've been telling with Tomb Raider is Lara wants to please her stupid dead father and they really need to move away with it. But for some reason, they just can't. Um, I really, really, really hope they do with this. They have now an anime to fucking, I don't know, give Lara some agency. Maybe she wants to do something for her own t- sake. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But they also have a movie because the Alicia Vikander movies before we had heard maybe they weren't going to do them anymore. But now they've got a new director on board. She did one of the episodes. I can't think of her name. Sorry. But she did one of the episodes for um, uh, Lovecraft uh, County. Okay. And it'll be her directorial debut. Did you ever end up checking that out? No, I haven't. But I know a lot of people like it and some don't. It's got some cool ideas. It's not. I, okay. I find it very hard to stay focused on it. But I think it's it's cool that it'll be a directorial debut for this woman. Yeah. And yeah, it's um, cool. I think you you can literally do anything with Lara because nothing's been done with her. Like that's that's my take as a Lara Croft fan. That you could please do more with her. <laughs> like, she can go on any kind of adventure. Yeah, she can go on so many adventures. She can do so much. Make it fantastical. Make make it grounded. Make it whatever you want it to be. Give her a girlfriend. Yeah, give her a girlfriend. Have fun with Lara. Let her have fun. Don't let her be so like like. Oh, but what about my daddy's legacy? Who gives a fuck? Burn Croft Manor to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Lock that butler up and just burn the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that creepy butler. I tortured that poor man. We all did. Uh, I put more robots in it. The first Tomb Raider movie had a robot. 
played Laura's jams. Do you remember that? Or what if she has to go on a quest to honor the memory of her father? That one. <laughs> Sold. Emails. We have an email address. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Neve? Yeah, it begins with, like, ass something. Uh, emails at... E- emails at... Let's... Giantbomb.com. <laughs> gmail.com forward slash LFAB. No, it's askletsfightaboss at gmail.com. That's askletsfightaboss at gmail.com. Uh, we are going to read out one email. Um, I had one picked, unless you guys want nope, to pick one. go for it. Neve, you okay with that? Yeah, go for it. Uh, I just want to pick a cute, simple one that really lit my heart on fire. This is from Jay. Hello, king of the podcast, John, Niv, and... Hello. Rick. Jay, you're already breaking my heart. You've spoken in the past about your unironic love of new metal and late 90s, early 2000s music. Hell yeah. In general, as a fellow new metal connoisseur, I have these questions for y'all. Favorite new metal band? Uh, Limp Bizkit. Deftones. I think, I think it has to be Linkin Park. Okay. Favorite song? Oh, that's so hard. Okay. I mean, really, there's a lot of answers to this question. Hot of... Dog by Limp Bizkit. <laughs> Hot Dog? Really? It's such a good song. It's pretty good. I, I Trent Reznor was pissed. He really doesn't like. <laughs> no, do, do, you know, do you know who hates Limp Bizkit is Rage Against the Machine, and they keep apologizing because <laughs> they're like, if it weren't for us, they wouldn't exist. We're sorry, we sort of inspired them. Well, I mean, when a band takes what you do and does it better and harder, it must hurt. Yeah. Okay, favorite song. Oh, uh, I mean, okay, it's a toss-up between In the Ends and My December, the Reanimator version. <laughs> Neve. Yeah. Um, I could pick a Deftones song, but in the spirit of this, I'm going to pick a one I really liked when I was a teenager, and it was Mudvayne's Dig. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay, favorite music video. Off the top of my head, I'm going to go Chop Suey. Uh, Nine Inch Nails, Perfect Drug. Yeah. That's so yeah, trippy. that's a good one. Directed by uh, Mark Romanek. Nine Inch Nails had another one, which I think was like Deep. I always thought it was like a Tomb Raider song for that, like on the soundtrack, but I don't think it was, but I really like that one. It's not a new metal band, but it always used to play in that like Kerrang slot, but I love the video to Everlong for Foo Fighters. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's a brilliant music Fucking video. amazing video. Um, what one is that? It's one of the few things Michelle Gondry has made that's good. Yeah. It's the one where um, the drummer uh, and Dave Grohl, I always forget the drummer's name, but they're, they're playing a husband and wife. And Yes, okay, I know. Yeah. Okay, favorite new metal band music video, uh, Slipknot's Duality. Oh, yeah. Fuck, that's so okay. good. Okay, and then the last question, who won the All in the Family rap battle? Fred Durst. I think, mm. I think John Davis won. I think John Davis won, no. and I think John Davis won because Fred Durst should have stomped him and he didn't. No, John Davis sucks. I bet that's. I think Corn is like one of the bad. worst new metal bands. Ah, Neve, <laughs> are you are, are you so good? Are you honestly telling me you don't think Freak on a Leash is a good song? I think it's like their one good song. I think their singles are good. Their albums are so disappointing. But he You're plays like, the bagpipes. Yeah. See, Neve, I think like 
there's always been a realness in me and Brian that isn't in you. Something takes a part of me. You and I were meant to be. He looks like he's kind of stinky. I'm not into Every time we talk about like goth shit, this comes up to me. takes a part of me. I just like it. I remember very goths. early in our relationship, Neve, you being like, explain goth girls to me. And being like, these are great. And then you're just being like, I just feel like they smell. And I remember like just having Neve, that's no, so mean. No like concept of how to reply to that. Well, thank- some might. Thank you, Jay. No. That was a lovely email. It was a great email. I don't think God smell. That's what you said though. No. And then you were like, You let showed me, th- me th- a picture of some goth girl you thought was hot, and I just thought she looked stinky. Okay, <laughs> just- but then you'll be like, you know who I like. GAA girls and it's like yep yeah, because they don't smell they don't smell <laughs> you're just trying to go after what you couldn't uh, it's true it's true I guess I just never had no we're not getting no, no, into no, we're absolutely we're getting not getting into, into, this. into this no I think goth girls are hot I love a goth girl first girl I ever loved was a goth girl yeah but I think that's it I think the first girl you ever loved was a goth girl and the first girl I ever loved was a gag girl because I'm from the country oh uh, to, to, to anybody a gag girl type in G-A-A in, cap, in capitals yeah. then girl and take <laughs> Neil, G-A Kamogi yeah Neil take your pick you can it, uh, surf the turf yeah girls who could run through you <laughs> kicking up the field and more you just have bad taste in goth girls why do I have bad taste in goth girls I thought we were like agreeing there for a second <laughs> You guys are so weird. Can we do Patreon shoutouts? Yes. Okay. We have a Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Sometimes I argue with Neve and we get to the end of the argument and I'm like, I think we both agree on this. I don't know what happened. You just have loads in common. That's why you were so weird. Yeah. The problem is, John, we're best friends. Two stubborn mules. And me, a handsome horse. I do like Eve a lot. I tolerate Brian. You are a handsome horse. You are, Brian. You are a very handsome horse. That's my story. I think if you had a tail, it would look good. I kind of wanted to bring that up for a long time, and I've never really known how to approach it. Gotta have a tail? Mm -hmm. Patreon.com forward slash LFAB. Probably, yeah. (laughs) Um... If you feel like doing something with your wallet. Okay, look, let's get real. There's not a lot to do right now. People have... Have you got a disposable income? An absorbent excess of... No, I can't do this. (laughs) (laughs) just... That was... Oh, that was too dark. Papa got some cash. He got a flash. (laughs) Listen, for some people, they're sitting at home in the apartment. No cinema. No restaurant. No nothing. And the money... It's just piling up. Not for everyone. But some people. Some people. I'm just saying... If you fall into this privileged minority where an excess of money is beginning to weigh on you, it's beginning to stress you out, buddy, we can help. Make it our problem. Make it our problem. <laughs> make it, make, it, make it so that we have a paid obligation to <laughs> do this podcast. The Let's Fight a Boss a Patreon. Make it our problem. <laughs> We have a Discord. There's a lovely group of people there. We have a section called the Patreon. You know shout my favorite outs. thing about that Discord? What? Whenever a new member joins and the fucking welcome everyone gives them is so cute. It's very so, good. I'm not going to say what it is. You just got to experience it yourself, but it's great. You get the red carpet treatment. You get the for for a day, 
You are a king, my friend. Do you know what feels real good? What's that? Having what you want shouted out? Shout it out. But there's no way to do that, is there? Oh, there is. The Patreon shoutouts. Get the fuck out. If I if I donate $3 a month to the pay, I can have my message read out on the Let's Fight a Boss cast in one to three years. Yeah, <laughs> as long as it's not, like, really fucking creepy. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not going to do it this episode, but guys, at some point, I think we might have to do, like, a catch-up on some of this Patreon. Yeah, let's do it. Let, 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 let's just go through, like, a big old list. Just, <laughs> do it, just, just read out a ton, because, like, I feel so bad for the people okay, who haven't okay, had their okay. shit read out from, like, two years ago. Okay, John, you're going to read the last one. I'll, I'll, I'll read the first one. Okay. okay. This is from LSB. Uh, Astrid, from ninth year, you tried t- to gatekeep me by asking me the name of an obscure redacted character right after an exhausting exam in US history. And I just want you to know, I hope you're doing well, because apart from that, you were pretty cool. Niamh. Mine is For Never One. Is that For Never One? Sorry. For Never Ever? Um, I gave you my $3 because Brian said my email was bad. <laughs> I stayed because of the digital hook. Probably was. <laughs> just don't bite yeah Brian yeah. you're right never back down um, we hope you're enjoying this is from Roadside Scene Kid Vendor yep um, we hope you're enjoying 2019 the year where everyone is excited over Neon Genesis Evangelion Final Fantasy 7 and Code Geass <laughs> wow that's a time wow, capsule a window, in, window into a different reality a very long time ago uh before we move on to the next section, we have to do a thing, don't we? We gotta do predictions. We can, I mean, we can do that. Yeah? I have some predictions. I got some predictions. Do you have I some have predictions? some predictions. I think we need to set the ship on the right course, and the way I shall do that is... What do you mean by that, Neve? Could you expand on that comment a little bit? Well, this episode was bad, John, and it's your first one <laughs> as uh, the... Dark Lord, okay, Supreme Neve, Leader. No one's arguing this episode's bad. <laughs> I like this episode. It is bad. <laughs> so we need to answer some predictions to change the course of history and put the rightful queen and other queen back on the throne. Hello. Brian, you would never be my other queen. You would be a co-king. And all you need to do is reach out and take it, my friend. Why did you have to gender it like that? That's so weird. Yeah. Sexist. Like, <laughs> oh my fucking god, there. You finally said it. You finally said it. She called them sexy. I just. I'll explain some other Queen works for everyone, just saying. I'm just saying. Queen is gender neutral. Mm-hmm. I super respect the fuck out of women, and I'm not just gonna take their title nilly villy because personally, Neve, I don't know about you, I think men have been taking things from women for a very long time, and I'm sorry that I don't think that's okay. I'm sorry that I'm the only one on this podcast who think consistently thinks about the well-being of women. How about that? John's a nice guy. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that one in my back pocket for like a year. Just waiting. Okay, Neve, why don't you give us the first prediction? Our first prediction is a new version of the Switch will be announced. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. Okay. What if it's Nintendo's next console? Does that count? No. No. So we're specifically talking an upgrade for the Switch. Yes. Okay. How about a new console that can play Switch games, or does it have to be a a Switch? I think this has to be a PS Pro style upgrade. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think it has to be 
Switch has to be in the title. Yeah, and so that way the launch console is now the base console. We'll call it something stupid like Switch Big or something. Yeah. <laughs> or Switch More. Yeah. Okay, I got one. CD Projekt Red will rehab Cyberpunk. And what I mean by this is that by the end of the year, they have made significant ground in rehabbing Cyberpunk's image, as in turned it around, articles talking about how Cyberpunk is good now. Sounds like a no man's And this is outside our opinion. We don't get to decide this. This is like a public thing. CDPR have saved Cyberpunk. By the end of this year. By the end of 2021. By the end of 2021. Okay. And I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. No. I that that could absolutely happen, but not by the end of the year. Yeah. Brian, what do you got? Alright, uh, another Nintendo one, and it is Nintendo reveals a new IP. The last IP they revealed was ARMS in 2017. Before that, it was Splatoon in 2015? I'm gonna say yeah. Is this a first party? Yeah, like made by Nintendo, um, for Nintendo, new IP. I'm gonna say no. I'm going to say yes. Uh, Elden Ring gets a trailer and release date. Yep. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Street Fighter 6 will be announced. No. No. Yes. Okay. Lucky boy. Okay, this one I was real proud of. Elon Musk announces a business venture in the video game industry. Oh, that's a good one. Now, is this he is a business filter? So is he like maybe a co-developer or he's putting funding in something? It's not that he's just going to appear in something. No, um, like like he's a, he's got an investment. Yeah, in no, he's got okay. because like Cuphead and so other Kotaku games are, are playable about on the Tesla. And Elon Musk's name is in the first paragraph. That okay. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Because um, because like I, I know he's been at E3 and stuff as a fan of games, but like mm-hmm. he is part of the development of a game he has a real interesting uh, talk with todd howard just two completely normal men yeah um i think no but for this is my wild card and neve gets an extra point i think he shows up in a hideo kojima game <laughs> um yeah I, I i i i think it's completely possible he's the richest man in the world now and he probably wants to make his Kanye West game so you think yes, he'll Yes. Yeah. I think he'll make I think he'll be part of the development of a game. Okay. I think him and Grimes aren't doing great right now, and that's gonna take up a lot of his energy, so I'm gonna say no. Grimes is in Cyberpunk. She I'm plays a character sure called Lizzie Wizzy, and she says it with such a straight face. Jesus. Well, okay. E three happens in some capacity. So last year it was cancelled completely. This year, when I say some capacity online yeah totally i'm gonna say yeah as well yes nintendo will do anything with the mother series that and if that if that means re-releasing mother 3 that counts does it like mean if they did a mother part of nintendo land will that count i'm gonna say yeah okay so it's nintendo acknowledging mother and doing something with it a significant piece of information is released about mother it cannot be hooray we made mother a long time ago it has to be an actual like there's a remaster coming there's 
something if it's like we're releasing a new mother toy that counts some some form of development yeah rather than a commemoration something that pushes that ip forward i'm gonna say no i'm gonna say no as well go on john say it say it fucking say it no (laughs) shit we're all picking the same answers yeah um okay here's one that we have to guess god of war ragnarok will release this year i'm gonna say yes i think i'm gonna say yes too i'm gonna say no okay all right um super smash brothers predictions how many characters are left Brian? three three okay do you do we each get four guesses yeah we, so we get four guesses for three characters uh-huh. yeah okay that's fair okay that's a number do you want we make a rule where we can't pick each other's characters okay go on me first? Yeah. yeah. Sora. Crash Bandicoot. Um, fuck me. <laughs> What's a stupid Nintendo character? There are none. Uh, <laughs> Dude, just say Lara Croft. Yeah, Lara Croft. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a good one, honestly. Yeah. Sans. <laughs> Three years in a row, baby. Uh, Rillaboom. Dante. Fortnite, just <laughs> yeah, Fortnite, no, Fortnite. Just Fortnite. <laughs> the bunny. I don't know. Yeah, just say Fortnite. Just, just Fortnite. You'll know. You'll know it when you see it. Goomba. That's good. Like it's kind of terrible, but it's kind of good. That's why. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit! Is Luigi in that? <laughs> oh my god, Neve. He's been in it since melee. <laughs> or is it a unit since the original? In the original, he was unlockable <gasps> in Smash 64. We both learned something today. Yeah. He <laughs> was one of the four unlockables. <laughs> Regrettably. Um, okay, no, let's see. Um, Aerith. Niamh, I, I would not say Aerith. Okay. Uh, she already did. Shit, okay, no, I'm no. winding it back. No, no, no. Uh, no, I feel Aerith bad. it is. Aerith, no. Why is she Do, already... what? <laughs> You're saying sand, so I don't know why you're... Oh, you're going to make you fucking eat those words. It's okay. Like when I predicted Banjo Kazooie. I'm changing it. It's Jill yeah. Valentine. <laughs> okay. I would have gone with Aerith, but okay. Um, Brian, if Aerith goes into that game, <laughs> she's already a me skin. Oh. Tails. Oh, that's good. All right, one more from me. I am going to go with. Spyro the Dragon. That's a good one. Mm, is it? Mm, they'd put... Mm, yeah. I know, it's so hard to guess these... Uh, it's, just, it's just you left, Neve. One of the men from Castlevania. They're, they're both already, in they're it. They're already in it. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> how, about, how about Soma Cruz? You want to say Soma Cruz? Say Goku. Just uh, say Goku. No, I want to say Goku. <laughs> Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I nearly said Spider-Man. <laughs> Do you know what? Like, Spider-Man could happen. Batman. Oh, Batman couldn't happen. But why wouldn't Batman happen? Because of injustice. <laughs> Is that really the reason why it wouldn't happen? Probably, yeah. I don't know, bro. <laughs> Batman, it's Batman. Batman. It's Batman's okay. ear. Yeah. <laughs> Batman's ear. Um, okay. A few other predictions shit. to get through real quick. Halo Infinite will be a massive success. Revitalize the Halo franchise. 
I don't know if it rolls. Um, I think Infinite will be a success. <laughs> so what people people are talking about Halo again like it's a big deal because it's not anymore. Yes, and this is post release, not yeah. pre release. Yes, yes, I think. Yes, yeah. I, 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 I think I it'll be a positive think news that, story. Man, we're so similar. I, I think they're going to put a, a good old optimistic spin on that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, me? Yeah. Okay, Breath of the Wild 2 is released in 2021. I'm going to say yeah. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yeah. Fuck. Okay. Um, Resident Evil 8 Village makes it into our top five. What's it would make that more interesting? Do you want to say top three? Fine. Top three. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yes. We got her. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, John, do you have one more? Um, Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have two more. Okay. Which which company do you think is going... Which company do you think will create the biggest shit show this year? You can pick any company you want. Ooh. CD Projekt Red. Mm, yeah, that's probably a good one. Um, let me see. Activision Blizzard. Uh, I, I kind of want to go for them too because they have Diablo 4 coming out. Yeah, and we haven't and heard much Overwatch about Overwatch 2. 2. But no, I won't pick the same because that's boring. Nintendo's class action lawsuit's going well. Uh, you see, but you see, Nintendo. They never have like massive PR controversies because they don't say anything. No, they don't. That's the problem. Yeah. And I feel like Ubisoft can't possibly outdo themselves. No. And it has to be a, a hilarious shit show. Okay, hilarious shit show. I think I gotta go with Activision Blizzard. Look, fair enough. Look, how about you could both take it because it is Activision Blizzard. You can each take a piece of that. Yeah, okay. And I th- here's here's one I thought of. Nintendo will release four games that will each have over 85 on Metacritic. Say that again? Nintendo will release four games, each of which will have an 85 or over on Metacritic. These are first-party titles. First-party titles. And are they can be any title. They can be a re-release. They can be a remake. They can be anything. Yeah. Yeah. Gamers are overly generous. Yeah, I thought that would be more divisive. <laughs> All <laughs> like, right. The lowest it would go was 82, and people would be pissed about it. I got one. I got one. Okay. Hideo Kojima reveals a new IP. Oh, fuck. Oh, I'm going to say yeah. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. say yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going we're gonna to have the tiebreaker ready for next <laughs> yeah. year. Okay. Guys, that's going to do it. Um, We should note as well, apologies that this week is an episode late. Uh... Ireland is overrun with COVID in a way that is absolutely horrifying and it's making things difficult in a lot of different ways for us. Um, it was our intention to come back January and just get like back to the usual, like two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. But um, that has not been possible. We're hoping to just kind of move forward and just be really like back to the regular schedule releasing bi-weekly. We kind of have to see what the state of Ireland is because it's really like... You should check out those graphs. They are bad. Yeah, it is the opposite of New Zealand, another island. Yeah. Um, before we had spikes and went into lockdown, what we're experiencing now is like literally like 10 and 20 times that. Mm-hmm. It's like what, yeah. one in 25 people in Ireland have it? Yep. 
Don't worry. The, uh, statistic. We're fine, and we're all strong, so we'll be okay. But just that is if there is like delays in the schedule, that is why, and that is also why uh, we have not gotten back to our Shenmue two playthrough. We will. We we see all the comments. But it's it's not really viable right now. But as and and we don't know when like the current phase is going to end. But when it does, we'll we'll be we'll get back to that. Let's play them. But yeah, thanks everyone for your patience. We super appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So I feel like I've gone really easy on the king shit. You, you don't want to do a loot drop? God damn it, bro! Would you just let me finish my fucking bits? I thought we were gonna be like, thank you, and here's a gift for you. Here's a loot drop. No. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to segue into that shit? We'll, we'll end on loot drop. Okay. Um, Sorry, Your Majesty. Yeah. It's you, all the momentum now, Brian. Do you like that? Your Majesty? Do you like that I call you Your Majesty? My king, I think, is a nice one. My big fat king. Okay. I well, want you, you, s- you added some words there. I want you so big. Okay. <laughs> my um, king. My gendered king. <laughs> you know Men. queen is gendered, right? No, no, it's not. It's like That's guys. The neutral. <laughs> okay. Sorry, my slipper fell off. Look, all I'm going to say is next episode, I have an announcement that's going to turn this fucking podcast on its head. I swear to God, everything you know as Let's Fight a Boss is going to be obliterated and we're going to enter a glorious new era. Cool. You guys want to do some loot drops? Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I got one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a YouTube channel called GTV Japan, and uh, they do really, really nice retrospectives on old games, and they do uh, some fun analysis and heaps and heaps of trivia of stuff I did not know, and I love trivia, and so I was like, whoa! Uh, I got one, and so this particular video is on uh, the story of, of, sorry, the Parodius story da, and Parodius is a side-scrolling cute-em-up that came out in Japan and Europe, but didn't come out in America. And I got to play this game a lot in the arcade. Uh, really, really love this series. Uh, back when Konami used to make games, they made Parodius, and this is a, a nice retrospective video on that series. Mine is Jenny Nicholson's videos on the Vampire Diaries. I haven't watched that yet. I'm so excited. This is like an over two hour epic. He's only 16 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody looks 16 in that show. It's so funny. It's such masterful uh, storytelling. I have never watched a single episode of the Vampire Diaries, um, but I was brought on an emotional ride where, you know, when she got to the end, I was just like, yeah, that did wrap everything up. Okay, my loot drop is going to be a new video from a channel that I've started watching a lot of recently called Action Button. And specifically, I want to shout out their Tokumeki Memorial (laughs) Review, which is a five and a half hour review. It's like the first big dating sim and it's... It is just one of the fucking craziest videos I've ever seen. Like, this game's a nightmare, but it's kind of brilliant in its own way as well and yeah it's from tim rogers who used to work at kotaku who also did a slow translation of final fantasy 7 which is a massively underrated series on youtube but um yeah check it out and guys that's gonna do it for this new era um do either of you have anything you want to say before we finish up our first episode? It doesn't matter what you have to say. A little little wrestling humor there for everyone. Um, yeah, don't don't no don't say anything. We're just gonna this cut out. Goodbye, podcast. everybody. Merry New Year. <laughs> <laughs>